Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. This is episode 172. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, April 24th, 2022, at 4 p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plecknett. Join me are Todd and Zach. We took a week off last week. The weekend was just too busy. We couldn't get a figure out a time to, to actually record. But we're back this week. How's it going, guys? I'm just really sad we didn't review Dumbledore, man. I was looking so forward to that. It was actually my number one most anticipated release of the year. And for us to not do an episode of, of it, pretty unacceptable. I really wanted to see that lobster and crab scene where he's walking around all of the end of Jack built his house with Matt Dillon. And like that was the house that Jack built. I just really missing out. That's how I'm feeling today. Man, that thing bombed too. It's bombed yeah. at the box office. So uh, did ambulance. We were gonna see ambulance. Yeah. That ship made like eight million dollars. It's out of the theaters already. You that can't see it awesome. anymore. <laughs> Todd liked it. Yeah. There we go. So so Todd. I, I think if if I remember your your habits, you have uh, part of this next week off uh, sure. because it is it is draft week. Um, where are the Seahawks going at number nine? Down, of course. You're gonna trade down. You think they'll trade down? Yeah, I mean they're not gonna trade super far down, but they're definitely trading down. I probably getting some second tier offensive lineman that we don't know who he is yet you're not gonna draft a quarterback no uh heir apparent to dangerous i hope not not, not that, that kid from liberty not he the, looks pretty good not in the no. first round yeah i don't know malik willis would be interesting to throw into the into the into the mix but i'm okay with a with a with a year of uh of replacements as we figure everything else out drew Lock is fun stuck to get bryce young Drew Locke has been really fun to watch as a Chiefs fan the last, like, feels like five years. I feel like he always plays week 17, you know, always good for 150 yards and two interceptions. Just A, a plus talent coming from uh, Missouri there. Yeah, it's a, it's a classic Missouri quarterback right there. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. I had a, I, I noticed on my Facebook memories a couple, uh, a couple days ago, I had a, com- a comment I put up like, what, 10 or 11 years ago that was, Seriously, what does everyone see in Blaine Gabbert? Hey, he made an AFC title game. Okay. <laughs> it's more than we can say about many quarterbacks. <coughs> Blaine oh, wait, Gabbert no. didn't. That, that was, was Blake that was Bortles. Blake... Oh, I'm sorry. I confused them. Too many Bs. Yeah. Gabbert ended Kaepernick's career. That's what happened. <laughs> well, oh, okay. Here, here, that's yeah. a good question. Would you guys sign? Would How do you feel about signing Kaepernick? I feel like... That, There's that no chance to... it's ever going to happen. <laughs> I'd be fine with it. I think it. I think it actually would would somewhat work out at this at this stage. Uh, he hasn't played in like four years. To, I mean, like it. Took, I mean, he's not Michael Vick. It's not going to just like come back to him like that. But it's also four years of hits that he's avoided. See, there you go. I would take him over Cam Newton. That I would agree with. 
also his personality too. I, I would I would take him over Cam. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think I think they're gonna draft maybe a second or third round quarterback, throw him in there. Like if if for some reason Ritter or Corral slip to forty when they were picking, they're picking they're picking one of them. Maybe. Maybe. Do you want to say that Corral sucks right now and then in five years also, you know, applaud yourself? For I don't your know. Matt Corral team? could be an interesting one. He, he could uh, be interesting. Is he the guy from Florida? No, he's the guy from Ole Miss. Oh. I just, I just want us to just get rid of a third rounder for Baker Mayfield <laughs> and just call it good. There's the other one that we could get, yeah. The, the quarterback without a home at the moment. Yeah. Anyways, we're we'll uh well I'm sure we'll be texting back and forth about the draft for the next. I think the next more interesting race. story is Todd. You take off work for the draft. Well, I mean, yeah, we know, because we, it starts at like for, five, you take off work for March Madness and the draft. That's just living the dream right there. Yeah, I mean, I scheduled that a year in advance. It's not like <laughs> I mean, it's not like I'm going to call out or something. And like you guys haven't had a pick in the first, in the you know the top fifteen and what I mean. 10 years at least before Pete Carroll was there. It was Pete Carroll's first year. Yeah. When we drafted Okung and Earl Thomas in the first, in the top 10. Well, actually we drafted 15th when we picked Bruce Irvin. That was, that was the Russ year. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. It was Bruce Irvin in the first round, Bobby Wagner in the second round, Russell Wilson in the third round. That, that order feels about right. Bruce Irvin had a better career than those two, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure that you're uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing uh, wherever you find your podcasts so we can be found by more people. Let's get into this. Zach, what are you drinking? I'm drinking. Do I even need to say what I'm drinking? It's the same thing every week. You need to go back to your Costco wine. Yeah, that's a great idea. After that Godfather episode, let's do that. The Godfather episode that happened because it was after two recordings of <laughs> of wine drinking and on spring break too. And on spring break, there was and actually that wasn't Costco wine. It was slightly slightly classier, just something. <laughs> All right, Todd, what do you got? The Winchester Kentucky bourbon whiskey. Very nice, very nice. So uh, for me, I, I actually considered going with something a little harder. Uh, we got recently got a bottle of uh, of blackberry whiskey, and it's really, really good. Um, and it came with two. I should have brought one of the shot glasses up. It came with two shot glasses that are shaped like shotgun shells, which is pretty cool. But um, I had to go with the beer because I have a lot of beer still, and so I'm going through it. This is uh, at a Worthy. I've been drinking a lot of Worthy. This is the Lights Out Stout. It's really good. Looks nice. very fruity. Is that a pineapple on it, or no. you said this last <laughs> time? It's no. a hop. I know. Oh, okay. I, it was. I, I said it was a pine cone. <laughs> I didn't know a, a hop. hop. What, I, I don't know what a hop looks like. Well, we do here because it's the mascot of our single A affiliate in Hillsborough. <laughs> really? The Hillsboro okay. Hops. That sounds yep. right. Yep. All right. Uh, well, let's get into what we've been watching this week. And for that, we are going to start with Todd. 
Okay, uh, I watched the new uh, Andrea Arnold movie called Cow. Yes. Which premiered at Cannes, I think, last Not first year. cow. No, it's just cow. <laughs> it's about a cow named Luma, and that's pretty much all that you need to know. It's like from like all, showing all of the cow's life, you know, giving birth and everything. It just like closes in on the cow's face, and as if we're supposed to get some sort of information from it, like uh, just by like looking at her mug, because I mean, she's a cow, but she happens to have a really droopy face, so it makes it difficult to, to not think that she's feeling sad or something. But it's compelling still, but because the movie tells and doesn't really. Or it, it it shows and doesn't really tell because it, there's no narration, there's almost no dialogue by anybody, and the people are like willing participants. They don't feel any shame in what they're doing or any remorse. Like they're just that like they're part of the documentary. But it, it's good, and I but I just kind of hate that uh, Arnold made a movie like this when in the, when she hasn't made a movie since American Honey, which I loved. That was like six years ago. I, I it just makes a straight up documentary about a cow. But I mean, it, it's a sad movie. I mean. And you know where it's headed, kind of. And I mean, there will be some people that won't will think twice about eating beef afterwards. But it's all right. It's a three star movie. But uh, hopefully, she makes more uh, more narrative features after this. Going from American Honey to Cow has to be one of the biggest zags in uh, in directorial history, right? Yes. It should have like it shouldn't have it should have been a narrative feature about about a cow. Like, Is this I mean, an A twenty four movie? Uh, may I might be. I know they they had the sheep movie last year. Oh, lamb. Yes, the new mirror pass movie. What what's better, cow or lamb? Would you I haven't say? seen lamb. Okay, I think Adam saw it. I saw it. Oh, you saw it. Okay, well there we go. Lamb was trippy. Took itself. Cow is not trippy. Took itself really seriously. Yeah, we got lamb. We got cow. We need fish we need tank. More. Fish tank. There we go. <laughs> three for three. Big fish. How about how about we just do that? Yes. Turtles can fly. <laughs> that was a good one. A red turtle. Oh, yeah. There we go. There we go. I like it. <clears throat> oh, man. Okay. Nowhere. Let's uh, let's go on. I'll go next. So uh, we took a week off, so I'll, I'll catch up on the two uh, Oscar watches I had here. Uh, first one... So uh, both these are 2002 movies. Uh, the first, and they're very, very different movies. The first one had one nomination, and it was for Best Actress. Unfaithful. Unfaithful. It was one or the other, right? Well, Frida I had think Frida might, it might Frida have had costume. Oh, like a best song uh, or something. Yeah, or, or, or it had maybe. maybe makeup or something like that. But yeah, Unfaithful. Um, <clears throat> directed by Adrian Lyne, who... Uh, I think what uh, the one he did with uh, Anna de Armas and Ben Affleck, Deep Water. Deep Water, wasn't that his first movie since Unfaithful? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, anyways, this is um, Diane Lane, Richard Gere, Olivier Martinez. Diane Lane, of course, got the got the Oscar nomination. Um, you also had uh, the little kid Eric Per Sullivan, who around that time was like the cutest kid, like. Like he was in Cider House Rules and he was in Malcolm in the Middle and known for having big ears. And anyways, um, sounds like a cow. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, this is uh, your your typical suburban housewife uh, kind of is bored with her marriage a little bit and meets uh, an exotic guy randomly on the streets of New York. 
and uh, ends up ends up having an affair with him. Uh, and there's nothing really wrong with their relationship. It's just she needed something different. And so, yeah, so she has this affair. And then slowly but surely, uh, her husband, Richard Gere, finds out. And uh, everything kind of goes into chaos from there. The first half of this movie is fascinating. I really, really like the first half of this movie. Um, and as it kind of sets everything up really, really nicely. Um, the third act is a little bit of a mess as you kind of get the idea that the filmmakers didn't quite know how they wanted to end this or how it possibly could end. And um, there, yeah, there's, there's a one moment where everything kind of flips on its head. And after that, it it's, it's, ridiculous and not very good as it doesn't really know what it's doing at that point. Uh, so I think I gave it, I think I gave this three stars. If I remember right. It's been a little while. Um, but yeah, the first half is great. Uh, the second half is at times almost laughably bad. But yeah, I gave it three stars. Um, and, uh, the, the ending is, is such a, it's a cliche ending that is almost exactly the same as 25th hour. Um, and it was the same year, but it does it so much worse. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, three stars for unfaithful Zach. I see that you're a fan of this movie. I was, I haven't, I haven't seen it admittedly in a very <clears throat> long time, but I love Adrian Lyon. I think the guy is seriously underrated. I have not seen deep water, but I'm a huge fan of uh, nine and a half weeks and uh, I still haven't seen the the, the newer Lolita, but I, but obviously I heard that's a great movie. And uh, what's the uh, Jacob's Ladder? I'm a big fan of too. Uh, and I remember really enjoying the movie. I don't remember too much about it, but uh, he, as Mickey Rourke once said, he is the kind of director that comes along at once every 25, 30 years, like a Darren Aronofsky, like an Adrian Lyne. So you got to respect the man's work. And uh, yeah, I, 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 maybe if I rewatched it, I'd, I'd notice some of those plot holes, but I remember enjoying it. This was also the Diane Lane career comeback movie, because after this, she made a string of uh, romantic comedy. She did Under the Tuscan Sun mm -hmm. and then that dog movie with John Cusack. This was like her comeback, although it does have to be said. I don't know if she was ever really big before this because she was in that Coppola movie, and that was about it. Yeah, I, I yeah, I always thought heard this was like her comeback movie too. But then I was like, well, what did she really come back from? Um, she, uh, my dog's I, a fan of it too. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. Um, she was in Murder at sixteen hundred. I was a big fan of that movie. There we go. Um, but, uh, but yeah. I also noticed that Diane Lane doesn't age. Like she's looked exactly the same for like 30 years. So there's that part too. Okay. The other movie uh, that I watched that was this, this week's watch uh, is uh, from 2002. It was a best animated uh, nominee that for some reason I never caught until just now. And that is Lilo and stitch. Had never seen Lilo and stitch. I don't know how. So this is uh alien some alien force uh, did some science experimentation and came up with this weird creature that happens to be stitch and he escapes and finds himself falling to earth and lands in Hawaii is found by uh, a little girl there who uh, named Lilo and she adopts him as her, as her puppy quote unquote. 
I can tell the dog is a fan of, of Lilo and Stitch as well. Um, but uh, this movie, I, I was really surprised by just how much heart this movie had and uh, and how good it actually was. I wasn't expecting it to be much. I was expecting it to just kind of be this cute animated movie about a girl and her and her monster and that's about it but uh it's it's really really good and it's got it's got great heart uh, i was gonna say it it reminds me of um oh what's so i'm trying to think of what oh it reminds me of uh vivo the the netflix animated movie that came out last year it, it kind of similar to that anyways um solid three-star movie uh like this one is really really good I, I really enjoyed this one. I remember enjoying it too. I probably stopped the same time around when I saw Un- Un- Unfaithful, not Unbreakable. And uh, I just remember, Terry, and Ohana means family, and family means never giving up. No. Yeah. Ne- never saying goodbye. No. What is what is family? No mean? one gets left behind. No one gets left behind. No one gets left behind, as Greg Kinnear said in Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, it's 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 a good one. I, I remember thinking it was a very cute Disney movie. And that it was has, Steve Carell saying that. Oh, excuse me. It also has one of the best uh best names in all of uh animation. Ving Rames' character's name is Cobra Bubbles, and he's the uh the child services agent. Yes, I remember Ving Rames. It's a great animated performance it by is. Ving Rames. It is. I have not seen that movie. You've not seen Lilo and Stitch? If if Marcellus no. Wallace was an animated character, he would be Bubbles. He totally I'm 33 years old. Why would I see Lilo and Stitch? <laughs> I've seen Face Off. Con Air. Con Air. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. All right, Zach, what did you watch this week? All right, I watched several movies, but I'm going to talk about the one that I loved the most. Ding, ding, ding. This one I loved. It's on my It's on my top 100 list. I mentioned it to Todd. Prior to the last couple weeks, I had seen every Darden Brothers movie except for one. It was my white whale. I just, you know, it's not streaming anywhere. I was just too lazy, and I was saving it for a good night to watch it. It is their 1999 film, Rosetta, which won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. It was one of the two films that they've actually won the Palme d'Or for. And, uh, oh, my God, what a great movie. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, The movie stars... Uh, Emily Duquesne as uh, Rosetta, the main character. And this is a Dardenne Brothers movie. So it is set in the Belgium-France kind of border region where everybody is unemployed and miserable. And they have a handheld camera. And there's not much of a story. Um, There's not a lot of characters in it. It takes place probably over the course of two or... It feels like maybe two or three days, maybe a week. And Rosetta is 17 years old. She lives in a trailer park with her alcoholic mother. And all Rosetta really wants is a job. And uh, in a place where there's 25% unemployment, it's obviously hard to get. And so she has her eye on this uh, waffle stand and she befriends the, uh, the guy who works at the, uh, at the waffle stand. His name is Rique and he's played by Fabrizio Rongioni, who is also Marion Cortillard's husband in Two Days, One Night. Just phenomenal. I, I get these guys. I get these, these filmmakers. Uh, this is a movie that... Uh, I, I love movies that have something to say about society and the world that we live in, but do it on a very micro scale. This movie is not like trying to make a big statement necessarily, but when you kind of read into the way that the characters interact in the world that they're in, 
Uh, it's kind of sublime and beautiful. And I think the performance uh, by Emily Duquesne is just remarkable. She's not like a movie looking kid, you know? She just doesn't look like an actress. She looks kind of tore up and she looks like she's been kind of strung out. And she has because she lives this dysfunctional life. Anyway, I love this movie. It's, it, it would now be in my top 100. It's my number two of 1999. And uh, it is one of the Dardenne's best movies, either their second or third best movie. I absolutely love it. Uh, I will have to say, too, you know, senior skip day was this week. So in my animation class, I put on the first hour of Mitchell's versus Machines. Great pick, Terry. I, I enjoy it. I'm going to come back to it. I'll watch the rest of it. That shit was fun, man. That was a fun animated you. movie. Sony Animation is like, I, can I make the, Can I make a, a hot take here that I kind of like Sony Animation more than Pixar? I mean, is, is that possible Ooh. to say? No. Yeah, that, that, that might be going a little too far, but... Anyway, is, Mitchell, is Mitchell's Sony Animation? Yeah. Okay. Is it not? Yeah, I believe it, it is. I know it was straight to Netflix, so I wasn't sure. Okay. Well, I, I I think it is. But the real takeaway: see Rosetta. I've now seen all the Darden Brothers movies. I like every single movie they've ever made, with except the exception their early ones that you don't of, want to see. Uh, that's true. But they've renounced those movies, and they're available nowhere. So do they really? Ca- if a tree falls in the forest, no one hears it. I mean, does it count? And then. Uh, I, I still need to rewatch Lorna's Silence. It's the only Darden Brothers movie I've ever given thumbs down to. It's because I, I, I don't understand it. I'll watch it again sometime. They have a new movie, actually, that's premiering at Cannes in, in the next couple weeks, and so I'm excited to see. Their last couple of movies were somewhat disappointing, but disappointment by their Darden standards is greatness for most other directors, but I, I'm, I'm excited that they're still making movies. All right. Well, that's what we've been watching, and now it's time for our featured reviews. We have two movies we're going to be reviewing. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And then we're gonna be uh, getting into power rankings and all that fun stuff. But let's talk about what we uh, what we reviewed or what we watched. Uh, what we watched first was uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. What's the worry here, Nick? You've lost some of your talent as an actor. No. <laughs> what did he say? He says he loves you, but he went in a different direction. I'm done. I'm quitting acting. Oh, man, I'm driving through the hills. I'm sorry. One more time. We got another offer. It's a million bucks. It's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Javi. Mr. K. Excuse me. Is Javi going to want me to, uh... You know, I'm not sure I understand. Look, it's Javi. I am Javi. Nick Cage. God, this place is stunning. What is your favorite movie? That's one of those questions that's impossible to answer. You can't just limit it to one. Imagine me and you. I do. Is it too much? Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20,000 for it. I think that's the actor Nick Cage. Nick Cage? I love you. Have you seen Croods 2? I'm 44 years old. Why would I see Croods 2? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. What do you guys want? We're with Central Intelligence. Do you know who you're spending time with? One of the most ruthless men on the face of this planet. I need you to help the U.S. government. Let's kill this love. Find a way into that room, Nick. 
I can see myself doing more of this stuff. I think I might have a real gift for it. Good, because we got another mission for you. No, 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 no. Your friend is working for the U.S. government. Don't lie to me. Are those my golden guns? They're my golden guns. I don't want to kill you. You're the last person I want to kill. I love you. I love you. You just be Sally. Give me I'm Nick Frigger. This, this was one of our most anticipated movies of the year uh, as we got to all step into the cager for an actual cager movie. Um, and so, I mean, it's a cager. So Todd, I think you got to start. Tell us, okay. tell us about, tell us about, uh, about the unbearable weight of massive talent. Okay. It is directed by Tom Gormacon, who I'm not really familiar with, but Nicholas Cage, of course, plays Nick Cage himself. And he is at a crossroads in his career. He can't land the type of projects he wants. He gets passed up for a David Gordon Green movie. Uh, his finances are questionable. His family life goes down the tubes. His wife kind of, or his ex-wife, I guess, has disdain for like everything about him. And his daughter is somewhat embarrassed by him. Um, he's also haunted by Nikki, which is, uh, according to the credits, Nicholas Kim Coppola plays him, which is a nice touch. Uh, it's Cage's younger hot-headed movie star self who is trying to push him back to be Nick freaking whoa cage and uh then he decides he's gonna retire from acting because he I don't know he's kind I'm of glad a joke. someone pulled that off while we were here good job uh and uh he, he takes a one million dollar offer to be the guest of honor at a birthday party of Javi Gutierrez played by Pedro Pascal and he's uh being tracked by the CIA played by Ike Barinholtz and Tiffany Haddish and because he's like they think he's some crime lord who kidnapped a young girl for political gain. And so Cage is sort of recruited by the CIA to help them as it gets closer to his friend, who is also like the ultimate super fan of, of Nick Cage. And yeah, <laughs> this movie is a lot. Um, the action scenes are kind of corny, but uh, they work within the context. But Cage is like really doing his thing. He busts out a bullshit man, which is he uh, is a reference to matchstick men in the, in the pharmacy. He, he drinks underwater in the exact shot of leaving Las Vegas. They're constant references to his other movies, even like how he thinks Captain Corelli's mandolin is pretty underrated. Um, aside from those pleasures, the movie is really just a fun buddy comedy. Like Pedro Pascal is hilarious. Like there's there's a sequence where they're on LSD and it, it just kills and you get the wacky cage that we hardly ever get anymore. And I know because I've seen all of his movies. Um, the closest relative to this is probably JCVD which is, is sort of like a reflection on the career of like a kind of disgraced actor, which is kind of letting you know that he actually was talented, which I don't really think Cage needed that. But uh, I, I don't know. That's kind of what it's going for. Endless references and all that. Um, it, it could have been several other actors playing in, playing uh, the role, not necessarily, play, you know, it could, it could have been um, Robert Downey Jr. or whoever. I mean, it, there's a lot of people who would have done, but it wouldn't have been as fun as Nick Cage. Uh, it, the movie eventually calms down to being just like a cager action flick, which is never a bad thing. It feels a lot like National Treasure, but with like a touch of the family man and raising Arizona. And th then there's definitely like a in Hollywood kind of feel a movie about Hollywood in the end, which which maybe uh, think of like Tropic Thunder and maybe even more like Goldmember. Uh, which which is kind of weird how how it was like a movie within a movie almost. Uh, is it possible that I actually uh, didn't don't think there was enough like cage in this movie? Like I, I'm I'm sure I could watch it over and over again, but I, I 
I do kind of want to go on go again, but I don't think it was as self-reflexive as I was actually expected to be. I mean, it, it eventually just became a, a Nick Cage movie, but it, it's amazing that this comes like a, a, after my over a year long process of going through and watching all of his movies. And this is like the culmination of that. It's like a little gift from cinema to me. And uh, I love that. It's, I'm, it, but it's, I mean, for me, it's a three-star movie, but, but it's a pretty good three-star movie. Number 18 on the cager between Joe and the trust. Whoa. That's, wow. that's higher than I was expecting. I mean, that, I, I forgot we were going to place this on the cager. So that, that is impressive. Number 18. Well, so maybe I, I, he, I have to keep it going. Maybe he really just has just made a bunch of bad movies. If it's that high and you're that somewhat lukewarm on it. Well, I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't the exactly the kind of movie I was expecting it to be, but uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I'm lukewarm on it. it. It's a high three stars. All right. I'll go next. Uh, I I loved this. I'm giving it three and a half stars. Um, I, I love the whole like movie inside of a movie. And um, I thought the chemistry between uh, Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage was awesome. Uh, Pedro Pascal, I mean, he he's the reason this actually was a what was a pretty good movie like he because he doesn't just phone it in. And this is one of those movies that, you know, we saw the trailer and we're like, oh, that's going to be amazing. But at the same time, it was also one of those movies that when I saw the trailer, I was like, OK, am I going to be bored with this after 10 minutes? Like, is this the type of movie that's a great idea that should have been an SNL sketch and not an actual movie? Are they just going to keep hammering home the same thing over and over again? And they didn't. It actually worked because they had more going on than just that. I mean, even throwing in like Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz, I mean, they they served their purpose and it was completely insane and ridiculous what they were doing there. But it worked because you needed it to be ridiculous, but you also like needed it to be fun. And uh, and it played into everything else that was going on. Um, uh, it was, it was just this thrill ride of a movie and, and then it finally settles into being what you wanted it to be at the very end. Um, you have, there's so many references to, to all the movies. I mean, there's, there's a car chase where Nicolas Cage has to drive backwards there and like in Gone in 60 Seconds. Um, my favorite are when it's ref, it's like directly referenced, like when, when, um, Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal are arguing over who, who's faster. And, uh, and, and he's like, uh, all my stuntmen always do my running. He goes, not in the national treasure featurette. <laughs> he goes, Oh, I guess I, I guess I got to run. So, uh, I mean, it was, it was great. I, I loved it. Three and a half star movie. The one criticism I have is I was really upset that, um, that Javi Gutierrez did not have a writing credit on this movie because then it would have been the second time that a fictional character would have had a writing credit on a Nick Cage movie. Well, it should have been Nikki mm. Nikki uh, Coppola who was the co-writer. Oh yeah, right? that's true. That's true. Anyways, three and a half stars for me, Zach. Yeah, I would have given this movie three star. I was giving this movie three stars about I would say through the first seventy minutes. Um, I enjoyed the setup a lot. Uh, Nick Cage sings a song on the piano, which was just it cracked the whole audience <laughs> up. That was a great moment. I actually really liked the setup of this movie. He does the whole like, you know, uh, pampered. Um, it's a little bit like Leo in One Spot Time in Hollywood. It's a Rick Dalton thing. He, you know, he's at the late stage of his career. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He does a great kind of monologue slash audition with a Boston accent, which, which is a great moment, too. 
Um, and then, yeah, I think for the most part, I, I did like the setup and the and the uh, rapport between him and Pedro Pascal, who I agree with you, Terry, is actually pretty awesome in this movie as both kind of a super fan, but also sort of a shadowy figure in a lot of ways. Uh, they have a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun in jokes. I love the the cavern, the, the cave of Nick Cage memorabilia with the golden guns, and you get the. I mean, there's uh, that that scene alone is probably the biggest sort of catnip for Cage fans. Just looking at all the detail in it, uh, pretty remarkable stuff. Um, I gotta say, I'm kind of disappointed. I was hoping uh, maybe a little less face off, maybe more a little more snake eyes. I, I felt like the Cage movies that I love weren't fully represented in this movie we could have used a lot more matchstick men how about some bangkok dangerous i mean where where's the love for that um i was shocked we didn't get more wicker man as well but hey you know what those are all kind of semantic arguments i've never felt this um unprepared or insignificant or or just not i i don't know what to say about this movie because we have the cage expert as one of the three of us and so i feel like any opinion i should have about the movie i should just defer to todd but I think when the movie kind of reverts to formula in the last 30 minutes, a la the last 30 minutes, quite honestly, of adaptation, it just kind of lost me. I, I was kind of like, I wanted this to be a Nicolas Cage movie, not an actual Nicolas Cage movie, you know? Like, uh, more Nicolas Cage movie, less Nicolas Cage movie, you know what I mean? Like, criminal lawyer, criminal lawyer. Uh, but I did enjoy the movie for the most part. I'm really on the fence about this one because here's the thing, is Nicolas Cage has had such a fascinating, complex career. Anybody 35 or younger knows that he actually, uh, excuse me, over, I should say, especially 40 or over, knows that at one point he made great movies. When a Nicolas Cage movie came out, it was respectable quality entertainment, right up through Captain Corelli's Mandolin and uh, Bringing Out the Dead and then the one he did with, uh, you know, the, the Family Man, whatever. Like, those were those were all quality movies. And then... Post Wicker Man, that's when the under 35 TikTokers know him and he's become a meme. And I wish the movie had uh, had tried to be more for the older audiences than the younger audiences. And I'm pretty I think, sure his early 90s movies made him a meme, too. Well, the, but that's true. <laughs> that's fair. But again, those were those were kind of exploitation movies. I mean, he, you know, Deadfall. We need more Deadfall in this movie quite quite a bit. That's another. We didn't get any Wild at Heart either, which yeah, that seems like the well, that I, seems I, like I, the most egregious. Wasn't Nikki? Wasn't Nikki sort of like the Wild at Heart Cage, or was that just Vampire's Kiss Cage? I mean, I was a little bit confused about was that sort of just a composite character? It wasn't really a character. I mean, he was wearing a leather jacket, I guess, right? I mean, but. We I don't know. That could have been any of his late 80s roles. We get the vampire's kiss freak out when he's climbing up the wall, which was also a very funny scene, although I had seen that in the trailer, so I kind of knew what was coming. Um, I'm giving this movie two and a half stars. I think there's... Oh, come I, on, man. Listen, I, I wanted something more substantive. I did not want a car chase at the end and him reuniting with his daughter. And I mean, spoilers, I guess. But like to me, that was... Uh, the trappings of a conventional action movie and i wanted something a lot deeper like i wanted i wanted more interactions with fans i wanted more kind of self-reflection i love the cage character why put him in these goofy silly situations where he has to become an action hero like come on just 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 have some fun have some fun stuff where they get high and talk about dr caligari that was good stuff why do you have to make a movie with a, CIA, a silly CIA plot that has been seen in a million other movies, half of which starred Nicolas Cage? 
And, uh, you know, I think we get the joke, but again, I want a Nicolas Cage movie, not a Nicolas Cage movie. That's, that's my review. And, and that's, that's my hot take. They can put it on the poster, but, uh, for the most part, uh, you know, the first 70 minutes, it was, it was fun. I think, uh, we have, a definite come to the stable fodder and Dr. Caligari, by the way. And, and, and Nick Paddington too. And or Paddington, Paddington too. too. I, I yeah. think Adam tweeted out, I really wish there was a Paddington 3 now. <laughs> That's true. I did like the shout out to Guarding Tess, another seriously <laughs> underrated Nick Cage movie. Yeah, they actually um, showed a scene from that. I was like, well, <laughs> I haven't seen that in forever. But like, where was it could happen to you? I mean, listen, the guys had made a million movies, but like, you know, I think it could happen to you as a good movie. I know Todd doesn't. I think we've disagreed about that, but like that that could have been brought up somewhere. But that's not what the TikTokers care about. They care about a silly plot. They, they care, care about guarding tests, really? Well, okay, you know, that's what I was saying, though. I like the guarding test part. More of that I, is what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it was a movie that was obviously made by by a, uh, a an amazing Nick Cage fan, or a couple of them. And, uh, and, and yeah, and they knew, they knew what kind of movie they wanted to make. They wanted to make a Nick Cage movie, but also make it a, make it not all about it being a Nick Cage. I don't know. It, it was, I, I thought it was, it was brilliant the way they put, put it all together. I really did like the moment toward the end when this movie involves a kidnapping and one of the kidnapping victims sees that her rescuer is Nicolas Cage. And she says, is that Nicolas Cage? That was funny, you know? Like, imagine Nicolas Cage rescuing you. That's probably what our reaction would be as well, How just how random that was. That was a funny moment. I, I, I kind of like that. That well, was like... I, the... I, that that and, and the, the same moment of when Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz have that, have that moment when he gets off the plane. Like, no, that was dumb. Like, that wasn't Is that funny. Nick Cage? No, no one cares about the Croods, too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the, the guy from Moonstruck? What? <laughs> no! <laughs> uh all right well i'm giving it three and a half todd's giving it three did you did you guys read that nicholas cage originally wanted to play the pedro pascal role <laughs> well I, I i had read uh an article today that said that if they couldn't get nick cage in the movie they were going to try to get daniel day lewis to play nick cage that would I mean, I can't imagine how, how ridiculously better. meta that would be, but I mean, it'd be, it'd be beautiful, if, especially if Nick Cage was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> they should have gotten Charlie Kaufman to play Nicolas Cage. Does this movie Charlie exist Kaufman. in a world where people where Pig was released, or does this take place before Pig? It almost feels like it takes place before Mandy, and you know, like like his resurgence the last few years, like like Spider Man. Yeah, Mandy's Mandy. referenced. Because they're the, the chainsaw. Yeah, the chainsaw. Oh, right. Oh, no. uh, you you kind of get the idea that he like gets Pig after this. Or yeah, I, I kind of think so. Because I feel like Pig would have been brought up more. But I, I don't know. It, yeah. it, well, this it, movie it, was written a few years ago. I mean, he may not have even had Pig when this movie, when they got the oh, idea for this movie. Who's the next actor they sh we should do this for? I, I like I like this meta commentary on an actor's career. I feel like Mickey Rourke would be a great candidate as well. Um, and Greg, I don't, know, Kinnear, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone. Cage quite is one of a kind. Just yeah, no one works quite like Nicolas Cage. It's the same reason why Todd hasn't found another another topic to stick with after finishing the Cager. Yeah, Matt Dillon was a disappointment. 
fizzled yeah, out. I just stopped that. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean yeah, because Cage is, is the rare <laughs> one that he's like the indie darling, critical darling, and movie star, and he has awful movies too. So it's like, I mean, there's nobody really quite like him. Unless you're going with like a maybe Tom Cruise in a way you could try to do something with, but I don't know. But Tom Cruise hasn't done anything that hasn't been a blockbuster in forever. Like do you what, think Lions he, for Lambs is the last movie he made that wasn't like probably. a blockbuster? Cage had say over what movies were referenced. Like I was kind of surprised there wasn't a, a, a sly Sunny reference thrown in there since that was his di- di- you know directorial nice. movie. This should have been a mini series. We could, <laughs> could have had, like all kinds of episodes of this. I, I maybe I, I the only other one I could think of is maybe Bruce Willis, but at this point I don't know if you can do that anymore because he's retired and, and I can see that in health. But he he's kind of had a similar trajectory of at one point he was the guy. Yeah, uh, like well, the last could, ten years. And that way you could do a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger because I mean that'd be similar oh, yeah. to JCVD kind of. But. I kind of thought you could do a whole Todd Haynes "I'm Not There" type thing, like have five different actors play Nick Cage throughout <laughs> his career. Like that would have been fascinating. Like Kate Blanchett as as Nicolas Cage. That I would have I would be down for that. And Daniel Day Lewis. That's that that's the movie that should have been made. There we go. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. All right. Well. I gave it three and a half. Todd gave it three. Zach, I gave the first 70 minutes three stars. Yeah, that doesn't count. Anyways, Unbearable Way to Massive Talent. One of the more original movies you'll see in uh, around right now. Uh, it's in theaters now. Okay. Definitely better than a, uh, the Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh. Now, I don't know. What did I... Where did I put those? I think I put them like right... What's the last non-bubble movie that you've given thumbs down to, Terry? The last <laughs> non-bubble movie? Oh, I, I've got I've got four thumbs down this so far this year. Home Team, Moonfall, The King's Daughter, and The Bubble. Nice. Yep. Home Team, that was a classic. Home Team was a classic. Uh, yeah, that, that was a classic. All right, well, moving on to a movie that you guys watched and I didn't get a chance to. But I really want to see it. I'm going to try and see it this week so I can report on it next week. And that is the new Robert Eggers movie, The Northman. Now, behold. He's here. He's here. Father! Father is here! The king, my lady. The king. Your fate is set, and you cannot escape it. How I've missed you, my son. One day this kingdom will be yours. Thank you, father. My king.
You must choose between kindness for your kin or hate for your enemies. Your strength breaks men's bones. I have the cunning to break their minds. And night by night, we will carry out my pledge of vengeance. I will avenge you, father. I will avenge you, father. I will save you, mother. I will save you, mother. I will kill your father. All right, I'll try to stay spoiler-free as much as possible. Uh, the Northman is the third movie by Robert Eggers. He directed The Witch and The Lighthouse. I really liked both of them. I think we reviewed The Lighthouse, and I was the only one who liked it. Um, he likes setting his movies in the past, and so this is a movie that is set, I believe, in the 10th century, and it is about Vikings in Iceland. And uh, it, it stars Alexander Sarsgaard as... Uh, uh, let's see if I get his name right. Amleth, which is Hamlet, but with the H moved to the end of the name. And uh, basically, the, the the plot of this movie is similar to Hamlet. We have uh, basically a young prince whose father is axed pretty early on in the movie, and he we could say it's either Hamlet or the Lion King. Which which is more accurate, Todd? It's probably because there's definitely the some thing. there's definitely some Lion King elements to this movie, including um, the appropriation of animals and animal fur and howling at the moon. Uh, there's no Timon or P Pumbaa, unfortunately. But um, anyway, uh, we get this. Uh, prince character Omleth who is cast away from his kingdom and he really spends the next oh I don't know 20 years of his life thinking of one thing and one thing only and that is avenging his father's death at the hands of his uncle um, and his uncle in the movie is played by uh, uh, Klaus Bang Klaus Bang Klaus Bang there we go and uh, his mother is played by Nicole Kidman and so he basically pulls a Russell Crowe and Gladiator and becomes a uh, like a, a slave as a means to enter back into the kingdom uh, that his uncle now kind of is in charge of, all with the aim of eventually um, not only killing his uncle, but really trying to make his life as miserable as possible. And um, along the way, there's lots of bloody sword fighting. Uh, I've heard this movie described as Andre Rublev meets Conan the Barbarian, which is a pretty apt description. Uh, Robert Eggers is a serious uh, cineast. Uh, he is not a conventional commercial filmmaker. Uh, this movie, he had a $90 million budget. Uh, so this was his first kind of big movie. And it does kind of feel in some ways like a crowd pleaser. The theater I saw it was pretty full and there was lots of kind of gruesome, gory moments that people were pretty excited to watch. It's a lot of action sequences in this movie. And, uh, you know, in a weird kind of way, my criticism of this movie is almost the same as the Nick Cage movie. Uh, it just kind of, it has a fascinating premise, and it's obviously well made and well shot and well acted, and yet it's also just kind of conventional in a way. And you can't help but watch it and think about Gladiator and think about... Uh, well, really, two movies that came out last year, uh, The Last Duel and The Green Knight, both of which I thought were a little bit better, although not significantly. 
I think because both of them were trying to do something a little bit different, a little bit outside of conventionality. The Green Knight was about this kind of very sort of um, untrained, almost immature knight played by Dev Patel. And obviously the last duel, which I liked more than you guys did, did, did the Rashomon style, um, you know, flashbacks, but also more of a focus on how women's voices are basically omitted from a lot of the, the, the stories of knights and valor and things like that. That being said, I liked the movie. It actually got better as it went along um, because I thought the re whole revenge thing was just, again, sort of like, okay, been there, done that, seen it before. I didn't really totally buy the character's motivation that much. And I didn't even really like the character for maybe a couple reasons that I'll, I'll avoid, avoid saying too much. There's definitely some surprises in this movie. Um, it's great seeing Bjork back on the screen. Although I got to say, I almost want to dock this movie a half star because now I can no longer say that Bjork is the number one best performance in a movie where it was only the only movie of their filmography, uh, unfortunately. So uh, but I guess it's, it's nice to see Bjork though back in action. And she plays sort of an Oracle figure in this movie. And I got to say, uh, it's obviously impressive to watch. I, you know, uh, Eggers does some really cool stuff with long single takes. There's a sequence in this movie where a village is burned that was reminiscent of Come and See. And uh, Alexander Sarsgaard, man, he is ripped. He's got like throbbing muscles coming out of his neck. The guy has roid rage or something. Um, Any Taylor Joy is really good in this movie. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Nicole Kidman does some kind of Lady Macbeth sort of stuff in this movie that is pretty remarkable. Um, that being said, I only liked it. I didn't love it. And, um, I kind of wish that Eggers was, did, did, did not have $90 million. I, I, I was more intrigued by the idea of him working with less instead of more. And this movie felt a little too commercial for me. I wanted kind of the alt weirdness of something like the witch that was a lot more constrained and had a lot more to say about the time and the place than uh, this kind of overblown um, sort of extravaganza at times. But overall, I, I did enjoy it, and I give it three stars. Yeah, we, we are uh, on pretty much the same page. Like, I, I thought a lot of Braveheart when I was watching this. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like the structure was that way, but it was shot like the Green Knight, but told in the way that the tragedy of Macbeth was told. So it's like this epic revenge tale, code of honor, off with your head. You know, like there's like this uh, this whole this whole thing, and, and it just seemed like those movies. But the visuals are really stunning. The cinematography, art direction, costumes are all, and the sound is terrifying. But I don't know why this was a spring release. If it was released in the fall, it'd probably be a big awards player. But now I feel like it's going to be like the Green Knight and probably just be completely forgotten. But it, this is like really not my thing. Like it's, but it's still compelling and watchable. Like all the actors are killing it. Even Kidman, I don't even like Nicole Kidman, but she's way over the top. But it's an admirable performance because it fits with what what she was going for. Ethan Hawke, of course, is great, and Skarsgård is an animal. But I don't know how this came to Eggers. It's just this thing is like so in touch with its big, bruising, loud, grunting tone that I was, I was I was impressed by it. I mean, I don't know if I'd ever watch it again, but I mean, it's better than I was expecting. A million miles better than The Lighthouse with Bruce Garbage, but it's on par with The Witch. It's, it's a three-star movie. Terry, what are your thoughts about the trailer? I mean, the trailer is one of the more unique trailers that, that's uh, come out for a movie this year. Um, it, it, yeah, it with the drum beat. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I dug the trailer. So... Yeah. I, I really like Robert Eggers. I think he's fascinating. I, I read some interviews and listened to a podcast with him this week. And there were a couple kind of interesting caveats to this movie. One was the budget, but also he did not have final cut of this movie. And I, I sense that he would have wanted this movie to maybe be a little bit more alternative and a little bit more 
a little bit more Tarkowski and less Conan. So I, I suppose I could give the movie a little bit of a break. This is one of those movies where, like, in the experience of watching it, the flaws or criticisms became more apparent. After watching it, reading about how grueling it was to make and how much time and effort went into the authenticity of it and the, the spoken language and the costumes and all that, you can't help but respect the the admirable efforts, that damn near heroic efforts of Jim Lovell and his, uh, his, his flight crew, uh, backups from Neil Armstrong. But in all seriousness, um, it makes me like the movie a little bit more, but that's not fair because you watch the movie and in the theater and you try to not bring other stuff into it. Um, I also got to say, and again, I'm going to kind of tread lightly here, but I just kind of didn't like the Northman, like the character. I think he's kind of a dick. And I think the movie relies on you wanting to understand his motivations for revenge. But like, there's some like messed up shit that he does in this movie, or at least not that he specifically does, but like when they burn down and raid the village kind of at about the 30 minute mark, uh, he just kind of sits there and doesn't really do a whole lot. And not only is that like revealing of a character that I don't find very sympathetic, but it's also a missed opportunity, I feel like, for Eggers to make a movie about a character who might have moral conflict. This character doesn't have moral conflict. He's single-minded in his search for revenge. And I don't know. I, again, I, I would have liked more quiet moments, I guess. Um, but What was the game that they were playing? Was it, is that a sport? Is this a sports movie? Well, I was going to ask that. Can this qualify for our power rankings? But Terry didn't see it. So <laughs> there's a pretty awesome sports sequence in this movie. It's like a mixture of Quidditch, a little bit of rugby. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to call it. Some sort of primitive, primitive rugby. Yeah, I'm not really sure what, what the what the actual objective was but i mean it was working and i i love how like like a uh, scarsgard is so giant in this movie that a lot of the time he's not really even hitting people he's just like shoving them because yeah. and they just go flying because he's just so much bigger and stronger than them and that that, that helps in that game except yeah. for that giant guy i kind of thought like in some of the shots he looked like gerard depardieu in like the 80s like he was just this big blonde guy just kind of standing there in the middle of the frame you're exactly right about that point but I don't know, like, I feel like it's it's an odd movie in a way because as sort of unconventional a director as Eggers is, like, you know, we've got the whole Game of Thrones generation out there. And look, I saw this movie in Kansas. I saw this movie with Bubba and Fannie Mae in the audience, and they were loving it. I mean, they they thought the sequences with the, with the swords going into the guy's chest and the nose and all that, they thought that was just terrific. And uh, so I don't know, maybe he's bridging audiences, he's getting wider out. But I got to say, I, I really admired The Witch and The Lighthouse for just how unconventional they were and uncompromising in, try, in trying to not be a mass appeal movie. So in some ways, this is a direction that I didn't really want to see Eggers go into. It, he didn't have final cut, though. So maybe there's that. I don't know. But he's a talented guy, though. All right. So it sounds like you guys, you, you liked it, but wish you'd loved it. Yeah. You can go with that. All right. I think so. Yeah, well, you can you can see it. To, what are we saying that Terry's going to give it? I don't know if he'll give it three and a half. I think he goes three stars. I think he has a lot of the it's same. Either, yeah, it's either three stars or like one and a half stars. I don't know. Like a high three stars or one and a half stars. Okay, I'll, I, I'd be down for that. I think it depends on if it's the second half or the first half of his Friday double bill. Well, there you go. There you go. All right. Well, that's the Northman. And yeah, I'll try and see it this week and we'll talk about it next week on what I thought. But for now, we're moving on into power rankings. 
You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And this was my choice for power rankings. And this is my call. This is my call. Must have been a tough one. And it was. It was a tough one. But I went with I, I went with something. I've been liking doing these like let's let's come up with a, a definitive, like broad, just greatest of list. And I was looking at, you know, it our baseball season's a couple weeks old. Last weekend, USFL started up. This week, we've got the NFL draft. It, it's kind of NBA playoffs. NHL is getting ready for playoffs, too. Greatest sports movies of all time. Just, just throw it out there. Greatest sports movies of all time. The one stipulation is only one per sport. Other than that, greatest sports movies of all time. Uh, this should be fun. I'm excited for this. So, that's what we're doing. You guys ready? Yeah. Born ready. There you go. There you go. All right. Um, let's see here. Who should start this out? Should I start it out? Go for it. I'm gonna start this off. Okay. So, for my number five. <clears throat> so, honestly, this is one of the more boring lists to come up with because. We, you know, I, 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 I texted Todd this morning and said, Ooh, should we maybe like rule out our top a hundreds? And, uh, and he was like, no, it's too late to, to throw that in there and, to, and to add in that curveball. I was like, okay, fine. But you know, I, I, it, I, I have some top a hundred sports movies. So there it's the top was pretty easy to come up with. It was these last couple spots that were kind of a little more interesting. So number five, I'm going with a movie that I know no one else is going to say. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I know I really, really liked it. Uh, number five, I'm going to the world of horse racing, and I'm going Seabiscuit. Number five, Seabiscuit. Um, I, I really, I really, really like this movie. Um, I gave it four stars when I first saw it um, about the 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 underdog horse that uh, that rose up and was able to beat a triple crown winner in a race. Um, you've got a pretty good Toby Maguire performance. You've got a couple really good performances from Jeff Bridges and Chris Cooper. Um, I, I love this movie. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. So, uh, Sea Biscuit, that's my number five. It's definitely the best horse racing movie, I think. Is it? Is there another? <laughs> well, I haven't seen Secretariat. No, Secretariat's not great. Um, there's the one that came out this this year or last year was a Dream Horse or something with Damian Lewis and Tony Collette. I haven't seen that yeah. one yet. I need to see that one. I got you. Got to get the Secretariat on there. The Diane Lane filmography. Oh, that's true. It was Diane Lane. Do you know? I forgot to mention. Bill Simmons used to have in his column an award called the Diane Lane uh, Over Forty Award for good looking women over the age of forty in his movie in, in movies that he watched. <sighs> Diane Lane All Stars. That's what he called it. The Diane Lane All Stars. I like yeah. that. I like that. All right, let's go to uh, let's go to Zach next. All right, uh, I'm going to go with Car Racing for my number five, <laughs> and this is a movie that um, I think we all liked when it came out. It predated our podcast by a few years, but it would have been a fun one to talk about. And that is Rush from 2013. 
Ron Howard directed, starring uh, uh, Thor himself. No, not Thor. Thor's brother. Excuse me, Loki. Uh, Chris Hemsworth. And uh, no, no. It's Thor. Oh, Thor. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, my bad. And uh, name that Hemsworth. And Daniel Bruhl, and I think the per performance that kind of catapulted um, his celebrity, other than Inglorious Bastards, he plays uh, Nikki Lauda, and Chris Hemsworth plays James Hunt. And yes, I did have to look that up on IMDb. But apparently, they were a big racing rivalry um, in the 1970s as Formula One drivers. And uh, I'm going to be totally honest here I don't fully remember the movie that well. Except I remember it was much better than Ford v. Ferrari, which was one of my three worst movies of a couple of years ago. Uh, and in particular, I looking at my best my best of 2013 list, um, I have this movie actually ranked fairly high, so I'm going to trust my opinion of it. It is number 18 on my list, and I actually have Daniel Bruhl nominated for Best Actor, so that's got to mean something pretty good, right? It's a pretty good year for actors. And, uh, you know, Ron Howard's a great director. And, um, yeah, I, I think I remember liking it, and I wanted to do an unconventional sport. And there we go. We're going with Rush. Yeah, that's definitely on my honorable mentions. And I remember that year, Daniel Bruhl, like, what was the, what was the record that he – or the, the stat he broke, Todd, for getting into Best Supporting Actor? Well, he yeah, he was nominated everywhere except the Oscars, right? Like, he, he did the Tilda Swinton – Thing. Yeah, but but he was not he like he was one of like three or four that got all of them, but you knew one of them was gonna miss. It was something weird like that. I well, just remember I mean Jonah Hill got in, that was never guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember going into this movie. I think you guys had maybe even seen it before I did and not having very high expectations for it. Ron Howard hadn't really done a good movie in a while. And, I, you know, I don't I car racing to me is one of the least interesting sports. And I got to say, I thought it was pretty impressive for what it was worth. So, you know, take it for, for, for what that's worth. But uh, it's it was a it was pretty solid. It was it was definitely better than what what was it driven? Is that the the uh, Sylvester yeah. Stallone yeah. Hip Purdue one? Well, and here's the thing. There's not a lot of good car racing movies out there, you know? I mean, we're not calling Gone 60 Seconds a, a sports movie, obviously. Right. Talladega uh, Nights. That would change things. Talladega Nights. Uh, Days of oh. Thunder. Yeah, the dog is saying Senna. Uh, what did That's you think a documentary. Oh, yeah, he gave it thumbs down, as did I. Um but yeah. Oh, by the way, another thing I wanted to say, I, I avoided documentaries on my list. Otherwise, yeah, I did too. otherwise, this would all be 30 for 30 movies. 30 for 30 movies and hoop dreams. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. My number five was also Rush. Yeah, um, there we right, go. So. I don't know. Yeah, I think this is the third best Ron Howard movie. I think it's the best performance by both of the main actors. Uh, yeah, I mean, and it's it, it, uh, a sport that I never have ever watched. Like, formula one uh it, it made me actually care in it because i'm i think the actual action sequences are really impressive and some of the best stuff that ron howard has ever done and um uh, yeah it's a really cool movie and uh yeah we've been talking about it for a while so <laughs> there we go on. can can Excellent. i just confirm that that it's it's the third best behind a beautiful mind in apollo 13 well yeah okay okay is there is there is there another <laughs> i i don't know i don't know but usually you're the one that will come up with no 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 i meant this one I, I really meant to say uh, Backdraft was supposed to be up there. <laughs> Backdraft, that's, Backdraft like, that's his oh. worst movie. Really? I'm surprised you say that because it has Bob in it. 
Yeah. I've never I think seen I gave it half a star. Wow. I've never seen it. I would put the paper as his number three. All right. Uh, my number four on my list is a movie we all know and love. We've done a deep dive of it. Uh, it is going to the sport of football. And we are the Titans, mighty, mighty Titans. Remember the Titans. Um, it's it's as good as you get when it comes to football because it, it's it's great. It's great on so many different levels. It's great in that it it's um it it's it's a fun football movie. It's great because it's about so much more than just football. Um it, it's it's got some amazing performances by a bunch of kids that are figuring out who um you know, trying to make it, trying to get up become something, um, including a, a very, very young Ryan Gosling. Um as well as others, Denzel gives an amazing performance. I, I would say one of his, one of his more iconic performances, you could say, um, where where he's he's be he's like full on Denzel in this performance. Um, it, it's it's great. It's great. Remember the Titans, number four. Yeah, check out our deep dive. Yep, check out the deep dive. Like and subscribe. I should I should have should have had the episode number ready to go, but I, I yep. don't. I'll, I'll I'll look it up and I'll I'll mention it in a sec. I uh, Zach, remember all those all those numbers on trivia. I think Todd <laughs> missed pretty much all of them. Uh yeah yeah. yeah. All right, uh, are, can we can we consider chess a sport? I I, I think so. Okay, I'm yeah. calling it a sport just to make this list a little bit more interesting. My number four movie, I'm going with uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer. Classic Zach Saltz, young Zach Saltz movie. Really enjoyed this movie growing up. Um, it tells the story of a young chess prodigy. Uh, and he is played by, let me look up the young actor's name because I don't think he did a whole lot in his career, unfortunately. Max Pomeranek. Pomeranek. And uh, at the beginning of the movie, his kid, his parents, uh, pl played by Joe Montaigne and Joe, uh, Joan Allen, discover that he is a chess prodigy at the age of six. There's a really funny scene where the dad is trying to beat him at chess, and and, the and he's like, you know, uh, the, the kid's in a bath, and the dad's downstairs, and they're kind of going back and forth. Um, this is a, a movie that is perfect for any fan of The Queen's Gambit because it kind of uh, shows a, a sort of a similar trajectory about this kid genius who once they discover his uh, talent for this, basically he becomes um, fodder a little bit. And what's cool about the movie is that he is forced to choose between two mentors. On the one hand, you have Ben Kingsley, who is this kind of classically trained, what we would consider sort of this stereotypical chess master, mentor, uh, very serious, scary looking dude. And then you got Larry Fishburne at the park, and he's got this uh, more aggressive style about using the queen. It kind of comes down to how the queen is utilized uh, that separates the differences and philosophies of his two mentors. Which mentor will he choose? What will happen when, uh, when young Josh goes into the chess tournament world? Uh, I'll leave that for you to find out. But this is a fun movie. It reminds me that in the early 90s, um, there was intelligent, thoughtful, well-made, well-acted, well-shot movies for kids. It's kind of a kid's movie, but it's really probably more of an adult movie in the sense that you can kind of recognize how the adults sort of manipulate in some ways this kid with uh, this unfettered raw genius. And it's a really fascinating movie to watch. And uh, I, I, I would say I watched it probably about five years ago. Really liked it. Held up well. 
And um, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. Chess is definitely a sport. I could also put the Decalogue episode one and the Seventh Seal as great chess movies, uh, but this uh, is probably more authentically a chess movie about the sport of chess. Yeah, I did a an article at one point, which was which was like basically the best sports movies other than basketball, baseball, football, and boxing. And I said that a sports movie is anything that you might see on ESPN. So like even like I had like the the spelling bee movie on there because that's that's a technically a sport. Absolutely. So, so chess, yeah, chess is absolutely a sport. Scrabble, you know, the, Scrabble is not a sport. The word search <laughs> movie with Mike Messina and Bill Clinton that was a good one, but that's a documentary, so we can't put it on the list. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right, Todd, number four. When will they make a Wordle movie? That's what I want to know. Ooh, now a we're Wordle talking. documentary. It's probably Sorry. works. <laughs> or, or a part of a Jed Apatow movie. That's going to be awful. Um, <laughs> my number four is my boxing movie, and that is from 1972, Fat City, which uh, it's about a washed-up boxer and an up-and-coming boxer, which are played by Stacey Keach and Jeff Bridges, and they're like it's sort of showing the beginning and the end of a career that could be all too brief. Uh, sort of a, a little uh, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I guess, with, with boxers. But uh, and I think it's the best movie that John Houston ever made. It's it's devastating. Wow. It's impeccably acted. And um, I went with this over Raging Bull because it's more about boxing and 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 then uh, Raging Bull is really more of a character study about a boxer. And uh, it just barely edged out Rocky. Both were like just on the outside of my top 100 when we did that list. Uh, yeah, but uh, Fat City is a uh, is it a masterpiece? And that's my number four. I was going to say, I mean, how did this beat Raging Bull? But th- that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah, I don't think Raging Bull's a sports movie. So, okay. I can handle that. I can handle that. All right. My number three, I have a feeling I'm not going to get a chance to talk about because my number three is Hoosiers. Merlo. There we go. All right. Uh, Zach, number three. Uh, can I talk about my number three without it being uh, Merlot? And that is Rudy. Yeah, I don't think it. people like that movie. Really? <laughs> oh, man. That, that's I already had a football movie, so it's not me. Yeah, it's obviously not you. Well, you're not a fan of it, Todd. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, I get the whole hatred of Notre, Notre Dame. That that's the, one, that's the one misgiving I have about the movie. It should have been for, you know, Kansas Jayhawk football. But... Listen, it's, it's fine. I, mean, I, I, di- I didn't grow up with it. So I, I, it's not one that I hold that, you know, you know what? Ironically, I didn't I didn't really grow up with it either. I think I saw it maybe when I was like late high school, maybe even early college. Um, but what I love about the movie is uh, it, it's Sean Astin. I mean, he's he's amazing. It's a, a low key, really high war performance that can't think of a lot of other actors that would have played uh, that well. You know, he has to be compelling convincing realistic from a physical standpoint but also really just winning but you can also see his defects a little bit both in terms of his physique and his intellect rudy was kind of he was not the smartest guy in the world he had to go to the prep school in order to even get into notre dame right and uh you just have a, a lot of great sequences in this movie i will say i don't think that um everything works perfectly in this movie the john favreau character and his girlfriend kind of get a little bit annoying um, but I would say the stuff with him and Courtney B. Vance is really, or excuse me, Courtney B. Vance, Charles S. Dutton, excuse me, microaggression. Uh, that was uh, very strong in the movie. Great mentor relationship in, in that one as well. And um, <coughs> is there a better ending to a movie? 
or to a sports movie. I really don't think so. The the last sequence, really, the, the biggest flaw in the movie is that you really should just watch the last 30 minutes because it's so well done, so improbable, and uh, I love it. I love that it isn't, you know, someone catching the game-winning touchdown. I mean, the Remember the Titans ending is whatever, but it's so conventional as a sports movie. Um, the less, obviously, you know about Rudy, the better, but the, the how... You know, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the Dardenne Brothers movie. For, for for a movie to be like that, have that much greatness in one moment that most people would have never n- thought about or would have just been kind of second, you know, na- you know, nature to them to just kind of watch it or to even kind of turn off the game was was pretty remarkable. And it's just a, it's a great underdog story about someone who worked super hard. And I know it sounds corny, but it, it, it works on me. It absolutely works on me uh, every time I watch it. So I, I enjoy it. I think it's the best football movie ever made. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I just like Remember the Titans more. Yeah, I mean, I think Remember the... But see, I guess the difference is that the focus of Remember the Titans is Denzel. The focus of Rudy is the actual football player. And I don't know. Maybe maybe that makes a difference in some way. But I just... I, I, I'm, I can do without another movie that has a game-winning touchdown. But I mean, that was, that was the actual story, though. Well, so was Rudy. I know and, it was. On, I know it was. Everyone, and, and I, I what agree. Kind of, I agree. It's a great ending. It is a great ending. It is a great ending. Sack. Mm-hmm. You know, even though the 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 the, fi- the final score of the game was never really in doubt, but you know. Well, I mean, I, I don't have a football movie on my list, but my I mean, mine is sort of more like Zach's. My favorite football movie is definitely Invincible, and that's another like very. Oh, movie. See, I've, I've like never that. seen Invincible. You assigned me that movie. That's Not the garbage garbage wearing football kicking philadelphia phenomenon where does that rank not as high okay (laughs) (laughs) not as high that's all i have to say all right todd number three my number three is uh the grueling sport of poker and it is course rounders uh, which I mean, is absolutely the has the arcs of every classic sports movie. Like you have the guy who's down, and then he's having uh, forcing himself to to get back up and go and go through all the pain and agony and physical trauma that it takes to to get to get back to where you want to be. And uh, yeah, of course, Matt Damon and Edward Norton were at the top of their games um, as a uh, Mike McDee and Worm uh, trying to get the money back from Teddy KGB. And it's, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to, how to really talk about this other than until we do our deep dive of it at some point, but uh, it, it, it's a great movie. It's endlessly watchable, maybe the most rewatchable movie of all time. And uh, it's, 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 uh, it has, is the brilliant beats of every great sports movie. That's a great one. I, I'd forgotten about poker and going with rounders or something like that. So good call. Good call. <clears throat> all so right neither of you not zach didn't have it and that's surprising actually i think the problem with that movie is that nicholas cage should have played teddy kgb <laughs> yeah, that would have been good or grandma uh, all right number two on my list is another movie we've done a deep dive of it was on my top 100 it is rocky uh i mean what 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 can you say i mean go listen to our deep dive oh by the way i did look it up uh, episode 97 was our Remember the Titans deep dive. Uh, there we go. Rock, and also, you can always just go to almostsideways.com, look up the movie. You'll see uh, you'll see a link to our podcast episode there. Uh, but yeah, Rocky. I mean, 
the ultimate underdog story. Uh, I love that it kind of in a similar way to Rudy, uh, the, uh, what, what he wants is not to win. He just wants to go the distance. He, he, he does, he wants to show that he's worth it. And that's one of the things that makes Rocky so great. Um, it, it, it is potentially the most, the most iconic fictional sports character of all time. I mean, I, a month ago I was in Philadelphia and took a picture next to a statue of him and ran up steps that Sylvester Stallone shot a scene on. Why? Because Rocky was there. That's the only reason. So, uh, so yeah, he's the most iconic sport fictional sports character of all time. And, uh, this is one of the most iconic sports movies of all time. So, Number two, Rocky. Yeah, I think of that deep dive, we all agreed that Rocky's pretty great, right? Yeah. I, I, don't think, yeah. I don't think we had any major flaws with it except the sequels. And the sequels, I mean, some of the sequels are pretty good. Some of them aren't bad. Rocky but... 2's not bad. It gets a little brutal for a while, but... I like Rocky it, Balboa a lot. Rocky Balboa is really good. I think 3 and 4 do some really interesting stuff. Um, five is, is a waste. Um, but uh, same same with Creed two. Creed two is pretty, pretty bad, but I mean, I I still haven't even seen Creed two, but the first one's fun. Yeah. All right. Zach, number two, just remember how that moment at the 2015 Oscars when Sylvester Stallone didn't win and nor did Mark Ruffalo. That has to be one of the most disappointing Oscar moments of all time. Right. Mark Rylance, last Mark we saw of Rylance. Last we saw of him, he was doing that horrible Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk impersonation <laughs> and Don't Look Up, Academy Award nominee for Best Picture. That was a terrible decision. That's because none of us saw the outfit. I was that's I, true. I, I, that that good point. Good. That good and it got good reviews. We should watch the outfit, although it never came here. I don't know what happened. Yeah. I think it was here for maybe a week. Yeah, it was at the in indie theater for a couple weeks, but I never got to it. Now it's still like twenty bucks to rent, so yeah, we'll watch it eventually. Do you think more people have seen the outfit or ambulance? Is the question. Ambulance. I think ambulance. I think it's debatable. Anyway, uh, so, sorry. My number two is uh, a movie that has been Merlot. I got some Merlot for it. Actually, this isn't Merlot. We're not drinking any <laughs> Merlot. Uh, that is Hoosiers. So I'm guessing it's also Todd's number two. So we we yeah. can tag team this Todd, a la Northman. Uh, I mean. Listen, we did a uh, podcast episode, Terry. You can look up whatever episode that was. I want to say that was about a year ago this time. I feel like it was like last March, maybe last April. Um, But, uh, I mean, we love it. We have so many conspiracy theories about it, so many conspiracy theories about Jimmy and uh, Myra's relationship with Gene Hackman and Shooter, Oscar-nominated Dennis Hopper, and, um, you know, Don't Watch Him Paint the Fence and uh or don't get distracted and uh just you know i i don't know we could uh, hoosiers is a movie that was made to deep dive and love and um it never gets boring never never dull um and it's fun and fantastic and when i'm on my jog i listen to the opening theme by jerry goldsmith all the time and it never ceases to get me pumped up and get the get the juices flowing you know, you guys are in the best physical shape of your life. You know, you got to enjoy it while it lasts. It's a great movie, great Indiana sports movie. Indiana, the second best state for basketball. And uh, it's just, it's a wonderful experience. 
episode 119 and you're actually not too far off it was the yeah, same episode we, we reviewed nobody there we go and uh march 31st well coach norman dale was a nobody how could do you think norman dale could have gotten that job in the internet era given his sketchy past Ooh. probably not at a high school, yeah, he could. I mean, dude, Rick Pitino got a job at Iona. Like, I mean, fair point. I mean, <laughs> and Norman Dale probably still could have had a college job, just not not a big one. But, I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I, I think Hoosiers. It, it's. I mean, we yeah. We, like I said, we talked about it a lot. It's um. It's the the best underdog movie of all time, and uh, it's. It's the one great basketball movie. There are very few great basketball movies, and Hoosiers understands basketball and understands uh, what it's like to be part of a team that it, that isn't very good. That has to be that has to be a, has to have the cohesiveness of a team. And um, yeah, I mean, and Gene Hackman just absolutely kills it. With with a lesser actor at the at the helm, it probably isn't as good of a movie. But Gene Hackman absolutely brings it. I mean. I have it ranked below Rocky, so I don't know if I could go as far as to say it's the greatest underdog movie of all time. But yeah. I, I mean, it, it is definitely it. I mean, we, we've talked about it before, but I think it knows its sport better than most movies. I, I think that's one of the things that's so great about Hoosiers is it it just it knows its sport and 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 respects its sport better than most movies. So it does have that going for it. Um one thing I will say about it that I found interesting last week, I watched Bull Durham for the first time. And first it, it was time. Wow. First time. Yeah. Uh, total blind spot. I don't know why I ne- had never watched it before, but I hadn't. It was really good. Um, but uh, one of the players is one uh, from uh, on one of the random guys in on the team in Bull Durham is in Hoosiers. He's one of the, he's one of the guys. He's one of, the Hickory kids. He's a uh, shooter's kid. I'm pretty sure. Oh. Shooter's kid is the is the guy wow. in Bull Durham who gets cut like halfway through the movie. I don't think I ever noticed that. He's he's the guy who's asking the, the voodoo guy to, to bless his bat. Good to know. It conspiracy theory. Yeah. yeah. Moved from Indiana. <laughs> To become a minor put, league baseball player. Put in a cryogenically cryogenic state a la Dr. Evil for 30 years to go to North <laughs> Carolina and play with uh with Kevin Costner and Tim Robbins. I recognized him instantly. Crash. Instantly. So uh, yeah, uh, he's had six movies, this guy. Hoosiers was his first. He also was in Platoon. <laughs> of course. Some movie called Undercover, Empire of the Sun, Bull Durham, and Born on the Fourth of July, and that was all he's ever wow. acted in. That's wow. a that's, that's a John Cazale filmography, <laughs> right there. I know. Did he die? <laughs> I think he's still alive. Man, that's incredible. What's Undercover? That sounds like a come to the stable territory. He plays a Maybe. character named Sheffield Hauser, which is a great name. I mean, we 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 uh, did a come to the stable on the at, at a Carolina farmer. South Carolina high school. So. so yeah, it sounds it sounds very Twenty One Jump Street ish, but it's an action crime drama, and he's the main character. Wow! Nice. All right, yeah, we need Jennifer to watch Jason Lee is in this. Wow! We are I'm, we we are watching this guy, at some point. What's this guy's name now. again? <laughs> the, the actor is yeah. uh, David Niedorf. Niedorf. 
Can we can we make a David Niedorf award? Like like a guy who was in five movies, but they were all good. David Niedorf, John Cazale Award at our on our deep dive. There we go. There he we worked go. with Oliver Stone twice. And Ron <laughs> Shelton. Ron Shelton. What? And, and David in, in David Onspaw. Oh yeah. And uh and of course Spielberg and Empire of the Sun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good grief. Wow. It's a How'd you not look that up, Terry, when you think you're like I was having trouble I I, I I was having trouble finding his name Everett. again when and, and uh Everett. I forgot his name too. He was also in some TV. He did some LA Law, Matlock, Beauty and the Beast. Don't, don't mention show. that stuff. Just mention the, the movies. That's oh, okay. all you need to yeah. Okay. <clears throat> all right. Bring us on home, to Terry. number one. Number one on my list. I mean, it was in my top 20 of all time. Uh, it's a league of their own. Uh, it's it's my favorite baseball movie. It's it's my favorite sports movie. Um, I, I was thinking another great, great deep dive could have just been like rank the best sports for movies. And I think baseball might be number one just because there's Boston's so many number one. Well, it's, but it's never going away. But baseball there's so many characters in baseball and um and, and just just so many great great people you can play with and and build scenes around and and downtime you can build scenes around too and uh, a league of their own it, it's just great the characters are amazing it's one of uh tom hanks's best performances uh it it understands the game it it gets it gets everything right it it it's funny. It's going to make you cry. It's, it's just brilliant. It's a brilliant there's movie. There's no crying in baseball. It, there, there isn't, but you know, when Jimmy Dugan tears up your husband's baseball card, who then spoiler alert an hour later dies in the war. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, that, that scene, that scene's going to make you cry, but apparently we did deep dive this at one point. Todd had to remind me. um i knew because well we we did a recasting of it and then apparently like two months later we did a deep dive of it i want to say that was early pandemic i'm gonna put the over under on that like may 27th 2020 look that up i'm I'm looking it up right now if i remember right todd we said that we deep we did a deep dive but this was one of our first deep dives right i don't know if it was one of the absolute first was within the first 10 for sure no it's more recent than that we we did a deep dive of a league of their own in episode. All right, so we re- did a recasting in episode thirty one. Uh, we did a deep dive in episode 53, 58. So let me go. When me was that? Uh, I'm I'm looking it up here. Early it had pandemic. to be early pandemic. Pretty yeah, because we went did like a hundred episodes in a year. It was December twelfth, twenty nineteen. So pre pandemic. Whoa. Okay. There we go. We got it. All right. Now that that's over with Zach, number one, I think if I were to make a bet, I feel like that was the day the chiefs beat the Patriots. I think (laughs) I remember that. I'd have to look that up. I would be willing Uh, to bet that, that because that was when we won the Super Bowl. anyway. um, Okay. My number one is uh, my favorite baseball movie. Shouldn't come as any surprise here. It is sugar from 2008. Directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. How disappointing is it that they have moved on to Marvel movies? So disappointing. 
At one point, these were talented. Well, they still are talented, but they're sellouts, I guess, going the Chloe Zhao route. Um, I saw Sugar at the Portland International Film Festival. I don't know where you were, Terry, but uh, we should have gone to it together. And I actually saw the directors uh, interviewed. Um, and, you know, this was before anybody knew who they were. And uh, they were fantastic. And they gave great kind of details about their love of baseball, but their, their real interest in telling an immigrant story. And Sugar is the story of a, uh, Miguel Sugar Santos, who comes from the Dominican Republic and gradually makes his way up the minor league system. And he goes to places like Kansas City and then Dubuque. And then something interesting happens toward midway through the movie. He kind of gives up on baseball. I mean, how many great sports movies, how many movies, sports movies alone <laughs> can you kind of say have an athlete that kind of gives up on their dreams and it's really the movie kind of then shifts focus and so maybe it's not totally fair to call it a sports movie but it's definitely a sports movie uh, but it really becomes a focus on what he does in his life post minor league baseball and um, his interactions and the characters that he meets are absolutely fascinating there's a little bit of sean baker vibe in this movie with just how real the people seem in this movie he he stays with this white family in iowa that just feels so perfectly cast and that scene feels just absolutely awesome authentic and accurate. Um, and in the end of the movie, he kind of finds that um, he has a greater purpose than minor league baseball, which is uh, pretty thrilling because the life of a minor leaguer, as, as Crash would tell you, was not that great. Um, I love this movie. I think it holds up marvelously. Um, and uh, it's really the only sports movie, one of the only sports movies I could say that, again, transcends the sport. You become more interested and invested in the character than the sport. It's not about whether he hits the home run in the bottom of the ninth inning. It's about how he gains self-respect and a sense of confidence in himself and, um, you know, acceptance in American culture. And uh, this is, a, I, I think, a beautiful story that um, everybody should see. So it's uh, under the radar, sadly. It was in my top 10 of 2008, and it's my favorite sports movie. It's a good one. It's a really good one. Yeah, I did a top 10 baseball movies at one point, and that was definitely in the top 10. I think it was like seven or eight. But yeah, it's a great it's a great movie. And yeah, unfortunately, not a lot of people saw it. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, that's that's what I I wish there were more indie sports movies. This is the quintessential indie sports movie that didn't have an inflated budget, didn't have a huge cast, but was just all the more powerful for it. There, there's a reason former Mariners pitcher Edwin Diaz had the had the nickname Sugar. It's because everyone thought he looked like the character from this movie. That is a great piece of trivia. Mm -hmm. All right, Todd, number one. My, well, my real number one we'll talk about a little later, so I'm going with yeah, a we will. different direction. Uh, so it's the, probably the one that is actually most debatable of whether it's a sports, sport. It's, uh, it's actually a performance art, but I'm calling it a sport, and it is The Wrestler, uh. which is, of course, Darren Aronofsky's masterpiece about Randy the Ram, Ram Jam, um, you know, Mickey Rourke and his career best work, Marissa Tomei, Evan Rachel Wood. It's uh, about the end of a career, a very long career in one in one particular field. And he, it's, it is probably one of the most emotional movies I've ever seen. Uh, it was my number 16 of all time. So, of course, it had pretty much been my number one here. It's, uh, I, I don't really know. I mean, we did a deep dive of it on Daily Notes at one point. Um, it's it's the kind of movie I want Aronofsky to be making because he takes 
these kind of stories and makes them something completely different if, if it was a, any other any average director because i mean it's still no budget and there's no aronofsky quirks but it still feels like raw and different and uh, it's it's a perfect movie see now okay what's the difference between the wrestler and raging bull that raging bull was disqualified for this list but the wrestler is able to be on it because aren't they both just kind of more character studies and about the sport? I, I feel like the wrestling is more of a player in the movie. Like, it's, like I'd say like the fourth main character in the movie is like people that are part of the wrestling. You know, like where Raging Bull is, is just, I mean, it's a, it's a biopic. It's not, I don't know. I, 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 could, I could see your point, but. Because like when I, I when I heard you say that uh that raging bull is on your list i'm like oh then the wrestler's not gonna be on his list either but okay I can yeah i i see your point <clears throat> okay and may, maybe the difference is you had another boxing movie to go to you didn't really have another wrestling movie to go to yeah that's true okay all right okay well let's uh let's Recap five to one, one do every, honorable mentions, and then we'll go from there. Once in every 25 years director. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, my recap number five is Seabiscuit. Number four, Remember the Titans. Number three, Hoosiers. Number two, Rocky. Number one, A League of Their Own. Zach. My number five was Rush. Number four, Searching for Bobby Fisher. Number three, Rudy. Number two, Hoosiers. And number one, Sugar. Todd. Number five, Rush. Number four, Fat City. Number three, Rounders. Number two, Hoosiers. And number one was The Wrestler. All right. So honorable mentions. I've got a whole bunch of stuff written down here. Uh, let's see here. So baseball was my number one. Some other baseball movies I have written down. Of course, like The Sandlot, Field of Dreams, uh, Bull Durham. Uh, little Big League was like my favorite. My other favorite, like little kid uh baseball movie it's 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 great um let's see here i've also got uh one one sport i didn't have on there was golf and so if you're talking golf you gotta talk happy gilmore but also the legend of bagger vance uh just understands golf better than most movies uh i've got the wrestler down here uh if i was gonna go with a hockey movie i'd probably go with d2 the mighty ducks uh knuckle puck all the way um slap shot i haven't seen slap shot oh um, I was actually thinking if I was going to go with wrestling, would I go with the wrestler or go, would I go with win-win? Because mm-hmm. win-win, I really love that movie too. Um, win-win is uh, a great call. Karate I kid. That. Oh yeah. Uh, another basketball movie I had written down was the way back with Ben Affleck. I thought that was a really, really good movie. Um, and then, uh, of course you could go with some of the, some of the Will Ferrell movies. I mean, we mentioned Talladega Nights, but you also have semi-pro, Blades of Glory, if you wanted a figure skating movie. Um, Dodgeball, which wasn't... Kicking and Screaming. Dodgeball wasn't Will Ferrell, but it's kind of in a similar vein. And then one I had a question about. Could we call Uncut Gems a sports movie? Yes. I mean, one... So why isn't that your number one, then? gambling a sport. Two... (laughs) And basketball. I mean, it's a basketball movie. Kevin Garnett is like the third lead. And, and, And he's playing himself. I mean... I don't think gambling. I mean, we'll get like sports betting is not a sport. <laughs> like poker is a sport. That's a, that's a weird <sighs> distinction, but yeah. 
anyways I, that that was one thought i had but we can't pick uncut gems for anything so anyways that, that that's what i got all right zach could we consider amoris peros a, a sport movie with dog wrestling or dog fighting that's probably that, that, yeah that, yeah that's I, I i was actually surprised that you didn't have best in show on your list zach that i mean i guess that is broadcast definitely not on espn though um that's but, a sport for sure you know what is broadcast on ESPN 8, the Ocho, is Dodgeball. I mean, we forgot about that. Um, okay, I had a few, like, are they really sports movies or not, kind of in the same vein as Uncut Gems. Could we call The Deer Hunter a sports movie because Russian Roulette is kind of a sport? I mean, it's something that... It's a game. It's not a sport. All right. Well, the pool's it's, a yeah, sport. It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, True. But it's, it's not enough. Russian roulette is, is like is physically grueling too. Maybe it is a sport. Yeah. Um, I also have questions about Sideways as a golf movie. I also have questions about Sergeant Bilko as a golf movie. Um, and then I went with The Pledge as a fishing movie. Um, but you know, obviously those are all, you know, highly I think, I think those qualify for Todd's list that he made at one point of best sports scenes and non-sports movies. Can we say yeah. uh, Scott Pilgrim as a competitive e-gaming movie? Uh, okay. In all seriousness, uh, Eight Men Out, Offside, great Iranian movie about soccer. Yes. Best soccer movie ever. Bend It Like Beckham. I really enjoy it. Oh, I forgot about Bend It Like Beckham. Um, That's a in- good call. Invincible, the Werner Herzog movie about a wrestler. Okay, I haven't seen it, but I bet it's good. <laughs> um uh when you want don't you think that Werner herzog said that his film school would only teach two things cooking and boxing i thought that was always interesting the bet midler episode of seinfeld which is about uh, a softball tournament um uh and the upside of anger uh which is sort Mm. of a sports movie but not really um i know it's not really but i i still love it and look it's broadcast on the mlb network every single freaking day you know it you love it the original naked gun if it's on the MLB network, it's a it, sports movie. They do play it a lot. <laughs> it's on every day. Every day at 10 a.m. You know, the it's, it's either Naked Gun it. or Bull Durham. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll take it. I can take that. All right, Todd. All right, so I, I had written down Rocky, of course. Uh, Eight Men Out is my favorite baseball movie. The next two would be Bang the Drum Slowly and 61. Those are both also great I was movies. surprised Bang the Drum Slowly didn't. Can we talk about banging the drum slowly for a second? I want Terry to see that movie so much because of how bad it is and how much Todd yeah, loves yeah. it. It's one of our cool. biggest disagreements ever. It is unbelievably bad. Can well, you watch I don't it? Even, what, what did you give it? Like, <laughs> like a half star. It's awful. It's what let's. It's not on I, the website. Uh, oh, it should be. I, I don't know where it is, but it's like what you think of Backdraft. I, I, I hate it. I thought it was just so trite and contrived. Ebert agrees Give with it Ebert one star, it. and it's my number it's, it's eight bad. of 1973. Okay, whatever. I'm sorry, I didn't um, mean to interrupt. Um, yeah, Offsides, best soccer movie ever. Invincible, best football movie ever. Uh, my second favorite basketball movie, the one that gets basketball the most other than Hoosiers, is definitely Semi-Pro. And, and I think that's probably Will Ferrell's funniest sports movie, and he's got a lot. Um, if you're gonna, if you're the, all the stuff Zach was talking about, the one I wanted to say was Stand by Me because there's a pretty awesome competitive pie eating contest in there. Oh, That's absolutely a sport. Um, yeah, and uh, see here, I have another one that I don't know is A River Runs Through It because that's definitely a fly fishing movie, but it's also a coming of age drama. If it's actually a sports movie, then it's on my list, but I don't think it's actually a sports movie. Similar to I don't think Breaking Away, it's a coming of age movie, it's not a sports movie. 
Raging Bull, if I was going that direction. And my favorite documentaries, uh, Dogtown and Z-Boys, Hoop Dreams, When We Were Kings, Playing for the Mob, and Murder Ball, all would have been considered for the list. Yeah, I forgot to mention Hoop Dreams, and then the other doc I, I was going to mention was OJ Made in America. If we're, say. Yeah. if we're considering competitive eating, can we talk about Charles Grodin in Beethoven's Second? Yes. That's a sports movie, then. I right? like the one guy in that that's like punching the, the hamburgers into his mouth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Can we deep dive I, Beethoven's Second? I Listen, I have a I lot be, of I've thoughts. I've seen that, about that movie, movie a lot. I have too. <laughs> I have too, and I haven't seen it this? probably in 25 years. Not the first one, the second one. No, oh, the, the first, first one too. I, I saw the second one. Like maybe ten times before I knew there was a first one. Debbie Mazar and yes. Chris Penn, two of the great villains in movie history. Floyd. I mean, we're. Ta- I'm sorry. I know we're getting <laughs> off track here, but that is actually a, kind of a great. What year movie. was that? Ninety three, I think. Oh man, next year. That's not in a theater. Next year, 30, 30 year anniversary. Next there year. There we go. We're doing it. We are so doing that shit. Yeah, the first. You one heard it here first. 92. No one else is going to do a deep dive on Beethoven second, except for the Almost Sideways podcast. There we go. There we go. All right. Now's the time. We are now going to predict Adam's list and what he said are the greatest sports movies of all time. I'll go first here. Um, my prediction for him, number five, The Sandlot, number four, Hoosiers, number three, Rocky, number two, The Hustler, number one, The Wrestler. Zach? Uh, number five, Million Dollar Baby, number four, Chariots of Fire, number three, Hoosiers, number two, The Sandlot, and number one, The Wrestler. Number five, Jerry Maguire, number four, Moneyball, number three, Creed, number two, The, Res- the Hustler, and number one is The Wrestler. All right, here we go. On number one. Honorable mentions. He's got Fighting with My Family, uh, Moneyball, oh, that's a, good pick. a League of Their Own, Rocky, Whip It, or Roller Derby. Uh, he also says The Mighty Ducks 2 for a hockey movie. And uh, The Greatest Game Ever Played is would be his golf movie. Uh, number five, Dodgeball. Number four, Field of Dreams. Wow, over Moneyball, there's no way. And the Sandlot, wow. Number three, The Hustler. Number two, Raging Bull. Number one, The Wrestler. So I think Terry and I tie. I got two. Yeah, I got two, and we had those two in the same order. <sighs> that's because I... Who had, who, had the higher, who had the higher second pick then? So I got his number one and his num and his number three. I said Same. his number three was gonna be number two. Same. You both got his numbers one and three? Yeah. And and we both said they were gonna be his one and two. Um, oh, that's about as close as you can get. I got one of his honorable mentions. Well I what was it? I was cutting out Rocky. At that point. I got Rocky as his honorable mention. I thought it for sure he was going with Creed. So I guess See, that means you win then if, if here's you got what I did. Mention. He had four sports movies in his top 100. And they were, in order, Hoosiers, Rocky, The Hustler, The Wrestler. So okay. I just went with that. But I feel like you like, should lose a point. Them. You should lose a point for looking that up, though. <laughs> you can't have inside information. I mean, is it inside information? I don't know. He's the biggest fan of Moneyball that I know. Like, I can't it believe you would have. It was in his honorable mention. 
Oh, so then I got an honorable mention then too. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, his honorable. Yeah, Moneyball. So his honorable mention was Fighting with My Family, Moneyball, A League of Their Own, Rocky, Whip It, Mighty Ducks Two, and Greatest Game Ever Played. All right. Well, I'm giving us both a half a point then. Screw it. I'm getting off a half point. Okay, I guess that's fair. I I would say I still win because of the Mighty Ducks Two shout out in the honorable mentions. Like not Mighty Ducks One, not Mighty Ducks Three, Mighty Ducks Two. Knuckle puck forever. You don't mean we're gonna. I mean, you you'll have a Ian little Thompson. bit stronger say in what you we probably, do next. I guess you probably like Field of Dreams more than either of us, so maybe that's that helps your case too. I said Field of Dreams in my honorable mentions as well. So I have thirty nine. Uh, Terry now has twenty three and a half, and Zach has twenty five. And Terry and I will come up with something to do next. I guess I've got a couple ideas. Okay, moving on. It's time to go into our trivia segment. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And I think I have to go first in reporting on what I had to watch because it it kind of segues perfectly from what we were just talking about. Because Todd said his number one would have been something something else, but we just we're going to talk about it later. It was on Adam's list. I had to watch it. So I'm going to talk about it. And that's The Hustler. I'd never seen The Hustler before. Um, and I just watched it uh, this week. Uh, I actually owned it. So it was one of the movies that was on my shelf that I hadn't watched yet. Um, one of the like several hundred I have on my shelf that I haven't watched yet. Um, it, it's even in my... It's in the Best Picture uh, like section because it's a Best Picture nominee. I have no... How did this movie get a best picture nomination, Todd? This this doesn't this isn't a best picture. Like I, it's it's a great movie. I'm not saying it's not a good movie, but it's not a best picture type of movie. Is I mean yeah, one of the very few non-boxing best picture nominees that are sports. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyways, so uh, so yeah, Paul Newman plays Fast Eddie Felson, the role that would eventually win him his Oscar like 30 years later, 35 years later, 35. Like it was 86, wasn't it? Give me 25 then. Or 25. Same thing. I'm a math teacher. Um, so Fast Eddie Felson is up and coming hustler. He's touring the country, um, hustling different guys in random pool halls. But his ultimate goal is to go find the best poke our best pool player in the world, Minnesota Fats, played by Jackie Gleason, and beat him straight up. Um, and he does, but then he keeps going. And keeps going and keeps going and loses. And this is the fascinating thing about this movie is that everything like you, you feel like the whole movie happens in like the first 20 to 30 minutes of this movie. And and then it, it's over. And then the rest of the movie has to happen. And he has to deal with this like rejection and this failure. And it, everything was building towards this. And he screwed it up and he messed it up. And so it, it's one of those movies that you think is one thing and it completely flips on its head. And then it goes into the next part of his of his story of how he's trying to pick up the pieces of his life. Uh, during that time, he meets a girl named Sarah, played by Piper Laurie, who was also Oscar nominated for this. I think Jackie Gleason was as well. And um, George C. Scott. And George C. Scott, uh, who eventually comes in um, as uh, a manager of Hustlers, um, who, uh, by the way, George C. Scott in The Hustler, if he, if that 
if that persona were around today, he would play Ben Mankiewicz in a movie. Um, anyways, that, that, like that's that's all I saw is, is this is that's that's the hairstyle of of one Ben Mankiewicz today. I like um, it. So he he's he's uh, finding like purpose in his life. He's finding character in his life, and, and so he can try and uh, take on Minnesota Fats once again later on. Um, it, it is a really, really good movie. Uh, like I said, one, one of the things I love about it is the fact that you see one, one movie for the first like half hour and then it flips and has to be a completely different movie because it's like the climax happens a half hour in and now it's got to tell a different story. Um, if I had one criticism of it, I feel like that, that second act drags a little bit and is not the easiest to follow. Um, but uh, it's still a wonderful movie. I'm still giving it three and a half stars uh, because it is still very compelling. And Paul Newman, I think this was like the first time uh, I've seen like young Paul Newman in a movie. Um, it, it just one of the blind spots. I haven't seen many of them. And my word, is he a magnetic presence on screen? Like he just walks in the room and you, he's one of those, like every now and then you get those actors where they walk into the room and all eyes gravitate toward him. And that's Paul Newman in the hustler. Um, so yeah, three and a half stars. All the performances are great. I love Jackie Gleason in this movie. He's amazing. Um, but also George C. Scott, uh, Piper Laurie's great. And, but Paul Newman steals the show. I'm glad, I'm glad he won an Oscar for this role. Even though it was later on in his career, I'm glad this is a role he won for. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you liked it. I, I watched it again this week too, and it's. I mean, I he go. I mean, I think he goes through as many injuries as any character in any sports movie ever. Like, I mean, he he gets a, gets his his fingers broken, and he's he's a pool player. But I I, I it has a really grueling nature of that game, and I I saw where uh, he pl- he did all of the shots in in the entire movie except for the trick shot that he's doing <laughs> at the beginning that was that was the only one that wasn't actually him so he actually trained had to have trained a ton to play that role and it, it, it's a fascinating movie it's a great character and like i, I don't know I'm, I'm a terrible pool player but i'm you know that, I, that movie has me hooked every time i watch it and to just kind of bring it full circle a little more there is a bartender in this movie played by Jake LaMotta. There is, yes. So there is also that. All right, so that's The Hustler. Zach, what did you have to watch? So Todd assigned me his number 65 movie of all time, Days of Wine and Roses. <coughs> oh, I was, I, I, was, I was thinking of watching this too because it's on TCM right now. I watched it again. I, I recorded it on TCM as well. It it's was on the, the On Demand. Yeah, it's on oh, demand. is it? Okay. Uh, it was apparently the highest ranked movie on Todd's list that I had not seen. And Days of Wine and Roses, uh, yeah, I don't know why I hadn't seen it. Um, it is directed by Blake Edwards, someone who I've never fully been impressed by. Um, that, that changed after watching this. It stars Jack Lemmon as Joe Clay, who is not too s- dissimilar from C.C. Baxter, his character in The Apartment. He sort of finagles and arranges some shady stuff with companies and corporations sort of a salary man as the movie begins and he meets uh, uh lee remick 
who also sort of a salary woman. She's sort of a secretary type figure to sort of this big corporation. And they have a pretty immediate romance. And it's pretty clear from the onset that Joe is an alcoholic. Um, and uh, she has never really been <laughs> taken by alcohol. Uh, but he quickly, as alcoholics are wont to do, uh, he also subsumes her in his lifestyle. And they have basically a torrid romance um courtship relationship that essentially devolves into them both becoming um helpless addicts i went into this movie a little bit skeptical and i was even a little bit skeptical in the first 30 minutes because uh listen i, I i've said this on the podcast before uh their alcoholism in movies is one of the most under appreciated under I don't know, undermade topics. There are so few really good movies about alcoholism, and this is one of the classics. I recently rewatched The Lost Weekend, and to me, The Lost Weekend is kind of like Reefer Madness. It, it has it's such a message movie, and it's kind of comes across as very dated, obviously very daring in its time in 1945. Um, Days of Wine and Roses is an extraordinary movie. Uh I was one of my favorite clips on YouTube is uh, Dick Van Dyke on the Dick Cavett show talking about his own alcoholism. I encourage everybody to watch it. All three listeners. Um, it's like a 20 minute clip of Dick Van Dyke talking about how in the 1950s and early 60s, you know, when, when AA was still kind of under the radar, there was this perception that alcoholism was more of a character flaw and not an illness. In other words, it was kind of like delinquency or like if you were a shoplifter or if you were someone who chronically showed up late or didn't show up at all. Um, it was a character flaw. And I think this movie brilliantly portrays how the attitudes at that time were that, you know, the Jack Lemmon and Lee Remick characters are just kind of foolish and selfish for their indulgences. And yet the movie also shows the pain and peril and terror that the illness uh, has. Uh, I got to say, I've never seen Jack Lemmon in a role like this. Uh, he has some sequences in here that are just harrowing. Probably the most famous sequence, um, which has been talked about, is the sequence of him in the greenhouse looking desperately for that last bottle of alcohol that he hid. Um, I've never seen Jack Lemmon reach that level of acting. I, he, he did, to me, he never seemed like that kind of actor that would be raw and physical and gritty like that. But that is an extraordinary take. I watched him on Johnny Carson uh, after watching the movie. He talked about how when he did the first take for that scene, he thought it was brilliant. They, they spent a day on it and then the film was overexposed and they lost it. And he had to do the whole thing again, which is fascinating. Uh, this movie got Oscar nominations for Jack Lemmon and Lee Remick. This these are their this is the, the the two best performances of their careers. Both both actors struggled with alcoholism in real life, and so there's a sort of poignancy to that as well. Uh, this to me is absolutely extraordinary to watch. I I, I thank Todd for assigning it to me. Uh, so few great movies about alcoholism. Leaving Las Vegas, of course, is is kind of the default pick, and and like Leaving Las Vegas, this is a movie that shows how. The characters are so tortured uh, in their own lives that the, the alcohol is the only sort of respite they have. And um, the movie has a sort of maturity and uh, that, that I think a lot of studio movies from this era don't have. And I think the last scene in this movie, which I won't say a whole lot about, is extraordinary. The fact that it was made in 1962 is extraordinary. I can't think of a movie that ha had an would have had an ending like that 
um, on the heels of the Lost Weekend. And so it's not a message movie. It, it, it's, it's an extraordinary piece of filmmaking. And uh, I, I also give it four stars. It's my number one of 1962. And uh, good job, Todd. Great, great pick. I'm, I don't know why I hadn't watched it, but it's, it's an awesome movie. Well, I'm happy that you agree that much. Like, I, I was not expecting that. That's that's awesome. Yeah, but I mean, you could you could tell that it, it is deep in Jack Lemmon's soul this this role because I mean, it's something that it, that was him doing what was his most tortured part of his life, and it's yeah, it, it's incredibly sad and it, it is melodramatic to an extent, but that is because it shows the very bare bones feeling of what it's like to be like a manic drunk and what that what that looks like and how you don't know that and and like the full spectrum of what it's like to be of of, of the alcoholic uh thing and um yeah i am i'm i'm glad you i'm glad you loved it that, that's awesome yeah i mean uh we've talked about this but i we both love the movie smash <laughs> that would make a great deep dive yeah. i think smash is actually probably the best movie about alcoholism writ large i mean that movie is extraordinary and like smashed this is a movie about how if you're married or you're in a significant relationship your alcoholism has significant impacts on your on your partner and in this movie it is jack lemon bringing lee remick down lee remick i've never seen a performance of hers quite like this i just remember her from sometimes a great notion and a couple other movies like she's amazing that was a totally justified best actress nomination uh the her physical transformation in this movie is just uh, amazing to watch um, and it's about what happens when one partner sobers up or tries to sober up and the other partner doesn't really do the same. And um, I, if there's one criticism of this movie, well, as, as with a lot of great movies, it could have been longer. I mean, this movie could have been an hour longer. Uh, and I think it's sometimes it covers a span of, I want to say, maybe about five or six years in their lives. And I wish I just could have seen more. I think the movie sometimes cuts away from the most painful moments. Maybe that's because in 1962, you couldn't really make a movie about alcoholism with the same level of detail and, and, and pain as a movie like Leaving Las Vegas. But for its time, it's, it's pretty remarkable. One thing I know about this movie is, uh, on uh, Inside the Actors Studio when Jack Lemmon was on, it was talking about this movie that he revealed to the world that he was an alcoholic. Um, yeah. And, and it the clip of it is remarkable because it's like the one time James Lipton was caught off guard. Yeah. Because he went, wait, what? And, and yeah, it, it's... It, it's Well, so, yeah, I mean, I was looking up a lot about this movie. Apparently, so going back to Piper Laurie, Shout out to Piper Laurie, friend of the podcast. She was the original, uh, uh, originally played the uh, uh, the character uh, played by Lee Remick in the Playhouse 90 version. This was originally written for as a teleplay for TV, and Cliff Robertson was originally the Jack Lemmon character. And uh, this doesn't really relate to the whole thing, but also bringing it back full circle. Did you guys ever watch the clip on YouTube when Ving Rhames won Best Actor in a Miniseries for Don King, and then he gave the award to Jack Lemmon? really powerful moment. I, I, I was, remember I, that. I, I was watching that today on YouTube. Uh, just, just great moment. Anyway, Jack Lemon. Wow. We could do a deep dive in his career, but I think this is his uh, best performance ever. Although I will say uh, it's been, I, there are several omissions that I have. I have, I would love to rewatch save the tiger, but he's astonishing in this movie. It, it's a, a level of Jack Lemon that I didn't know that he had in his career. Yeah. I have this, uh, I've said this before on the podcast, but it's my number three best actor performance of all time. So there we go. 
I, I think that's fully justified. Right. Well, maybe I'll try and watch that this week, too. We'll see. I don't know if I can get to both, but I'll try. Okay. Well, Todd, you are running trivia. And what are you going to torture us with this week? Well, I came across this thing. It's going to be sort of more of a Zach thing. That, that, that This is the ESPN Greatest Movie Athletes. Uh, and it came out in 2019. And they made a bracket of it. So there's 32 things in four different brackets and uh based on one of them is baseball one of them is basketball one of them is football slash boxing and the other one is everything else and these these movie athletes are based on inspiration which is social media (laughs) and lists uh athletic excellence during the one single movie that is talking about and the quality of the movie based on critics and audience scores so I think I'm gonna go. Hold on, are, are, are we are we talking fictional only or real life also? Like, are these only fictional athletes, or are they? Could they be? These are all fictional athletes. All like. fictional. I, I I guess I didn't. I guess I didn't notice that when I was actually looking at it. But yeah, it looks like these are all fictional athletes. And okay, so no. I think I'm gonna go through each category. So there's eight in each category, and uh, if you get the right. Uh, right character, you get a point. If you get the right movie, but a different, or if you get a character in the movie that is on the list, uh, then you get like a half point, I guess, if that's actually going to happen. So, but I don't know. So we will start with baseball, and I don't know. We'll start. We'll go with Zach first. So you're saying that these are the greatest, the greatest movie athletes. Movie, movie athletes, athletes. not so not if, characters like actual athletes. Like so, like if I were to say Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams, that would not be because that, that doesn't a, count. No, he's a real character. Okay, yeah, so these yeah, these are actually all fictional. Not that I can. Uh, shit. What the kid from the Sandlot? Uh, uh, am I allowed to say that? What's his name? Uh, I, I'm I'm spacing. Well, you, I mean, you right now you're at a half a point. <laughs> if, you get, if you get his name, you get the. <laughs> Could I steal the half a point if I if I know the name? Sure. Are you gonna come up with the name, Zach? Um, yeah, I'll I'll know it when you say it. Okay. It, so I can say it. Yeah. Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Benny the Jet Rodriguez. God. Ooh, apparently, I, I I read somewhere that uh, the older version of him is actually played by his brother. Wow. Okay, so that was the number one baseball athlete. Of all time. Uh, so you be sure at a half point now. It's Terry Stern. Uh, I'm going to go Dottie Hinson. That is number two on the list. Zach? Uh, Crash from Bull Durham. Crash Davis, number four. Uh, Roy Hobbs. Mm, Roy Hobbs is number five. Um, how many of them are? How many people are on the list? Eight. Eight. Okay. We've got four of the eight. Okay. You got four of the eight. Greatest fictional baseball players of all time. <laughs> um the bang drum the drum slowly guy, Robert De Niro. That is not on the list. Okay. There was high <laughs> social media long, long mentions, shot. but you know, no. Yeah. <laughs> Terry. Um, I'm gonna go with Nuke Lelouch. That is, I don't know what it, that is, but that, that's 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 that's, uh, 
That's Tim Robbins and Bull Durham. Oh, Bull Durham. No, no, that is not. That's not on the list. Okay, is it only one per movie? No. No. Uh, There are. Can I can I throw some others out there just to one? Sure. Henry Rowan Gardner. That's not on the list. No, no. Uh, Mickey Scales. That's not on. No, there's (laughs) nothing from Little Little Big League or Rookie of the Year. (laughs) Um. Kit so we have number three. We have Ricky Vaughn. Uh, wow, oh, major league. Which we also oh. have Willie Mays, Hayes, and Pedro Serrano. Yeah, from from major league. Um, Those are six and seven. We yeah. have, uh, and then number eight was Amanda Wurlitzer. Oh, bad news, bears. bad news bears. That's a good one. All I right. didn't say sugar, and it wasn't on the list, but that wouldn't be. That's not a shocker. On social media. Yeah. All right. What's next? Uh, okay. Nah, next is basketball. And we start this one with Terry. Uh, Jimmy Chickwood. Jimmy Chickwood is number eight. Number what? eight? What? Wow. Uh, Jesus. Jesus Shuttlesworth. That is number one. <laughs> Jimmy's number eight. That just. There are, there are a lot of very accomplished basketball mind. players on this list. Blows my mind. Okay. Um, oh, 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 oh. Um, Jackie Moon. Jackie Moon is not on the list. No, no way. Come on. Come on. <laughs> uh, like, oh. critic and audience scores do count, Terry. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, a white men can't jump, but yeah, I don't know the character name. Okay. Um, I mean, you get a half a point for that because, I mean. Are both of them on there? Yeah. So I should get a full I, point. I think he gets a full point. He, got <laughs> I mean, two you don't, he doesn't know the character name. Terry said I get a full point. I, I'll get, I think he gets a full point because he got a half point for both of them. But he doesn't know either of the characters' names. Okay, fine. I don't think it matters. So, he said, so now the game is tied, I guess. Can, Sydney can, Dean can and I, Billy wait, wait, Boyle. Can I keep going? Yes. Okay, so basketball. How about Joanna Man? That is not on the list. <laughs> I got like a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. So <laughs> not be on well, it's better than Terry's pick. Babs uh, was, Bunny. Oh, Babs Bunny's. No, a that's not on the list. But Airbud is number four. Oh, nice. What? Uh, number two there is, were accomplished basketball players on this list, Todd. Number two is Scott Howard, who just from Teen Wolf. Um, uh, Monica Wright, which is the main Love character in Love and Basketball, who ends up in the WNBA. Yeah, uh, and number seven is Neon Bordeaux, which is Shaq's character in Blue Chips. Over Jimmy Chitwood, really? Wow. Jimmy Chitwood needs to be like number one. On oh, Jesus Shuttlesworth. I mean, I, I, and, I think, and, it, I think they're, the they're battle free. is between those two. Well, one of them is a werewolf and a dog that dominate the sport too. So I don't know. Like, yeah. So the game is actually tied three to three. This is uh, this is interesting. Now, my next category is football and boxing. Is football that the same and... or two categories? This is the same category. They combine okay. the two because they're so. And similar. we're starting with Zach. Football or boxing, uh, but not real life. So not no Jake Lamata. Uh, Rocky. Rocky Balboa is number one. I'm almost afraid to say it. Apollo Creed? Apollo to... Creed is number six, and it's for okay. Rocky 2. Interesting. Uh, 
Maggie Fitzgerald. That is number seven. Maggie Fitzgerald. Oh, is that million dollar baby? Million dollar baby. Okay. Um, is it? Oh, do I still get a half point if I say the wrong character name? What from the right movie? Yeah. Like, like if I just take a stab at the character's name. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're saying if you got the movie right, then you get at least a half a point. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say Bishop from Any Given Sunday. Jamie Foxx. <laughs> Wait, okay. His name's Willie Beeman. But yes, oh. but you get a half point there. I get a half point. He was on the list? Wow. That's number two. No, wow. Okay. I mean, fictional football players is kind of hard to come by when it comes That's to true. This. What about uh, Rod Tidwell? That is not on the list. Oh, that's that's ridiculous. He's not a great athlete. He's like a on the border of getting cut. That's ridiculous. That's a great call, though. That should have been on the list. Should get a half point for that. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm gonna go Ivan Drago. Ivan Drago is number three. (laughs) It's now six to five and a half. Terry can keep going. Um, there are another one, two, three, three right? more on this list. Okay. Um, do I go with the? So we've said four boxers. So do I go with another boxer, or do I go with a football player? I mean, if it's either one, you could you would think that there's four and four, but there's not many fictional football players. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Clubber Lang. That is not on the list. Is Adam Sandler from The Longest Yard? Well, Gosh, Paul, Paul Crew is on the list, but I think it's for the Burt Reynolds version. Yeah, well, that's number five. Number four is Adonis Creed, and oh. uh, number eight is the one and only Forrest Gump. Oh gosh, dumb. That's a dumb pick. Yeah, I know. He was an all American, and he drank eight Dr. Peppers. And he had to be present again. Uh, so now our last category is the everything else category. So uh, every other sport that isn't football, baseball, basketball, or boxing. And we start this one with Terry, who is up six to five and a half. Not football, baseball, basketball, or boxing. Basically the list that I did that one time, like 10 years ago on our website. Yeah, yeah. I'll go Happy Gilmore. That is number one. Wow. Uh, Minnesota Fats. Minnesota Fats is not on the list. (laughs) Terrible. Uh, Terry is the champion. uh, Is Randy the Ram on the list? That is not on the list either. Ask Eddie Felsen since he said Minnesota Fats. That is not on the list. Although... Uh, slap shot. Reggie Dunlop is on. Oh, list. oh. What about what about um anybody from Mighty Ducks? I uh, know. Uh, Adam Banks is number two. Oh, okay. There we go. So number three is Daniel Larusso from The Karate Kid. Number four is oh. Ricky Bobby. <laughs> number six is Isis, which is the Gabrielle Union character in Bring It On. Number seven is Jess Barma from Bended Like Beckham. And number eight is Dean Youngblood from some movie called Youngblood, which I don't know what it is. 
better than so, Minnesota Fats, but okay. So Ricky Bobby makes a list, but Jackie Moon does not. Apparently, yeah. But Jimmy Chitwood is the eighth best basketball player in fictional movie history. Definitely. And Youngblood is, I guess, a Rob Lowe starring hockey movie from 1986. And that is on this list. Yeah, that, that was the dumb part. So Terry ends up winning seven to five and a half. I'm wow. not sure how, wow. how we should feel about that, but... Controversial. <laughs> It was ESPN. That that that's all you really need to know. It sounds like ESPN. I think clearly Rod Tidwell was a good football player. I mean, absolutely. M- many many agents were vying for him. He was the one sort of credibility that Jerry Maguire had. He wasn't on the verge of being cut. He was he was trying he was trying to get his extension. Okay, so in this this bracket they put together, I'm not really sure how they actually put it. Uh, ended up playing it out, but the final four was Jesus Shuttlesworth. Happy Gilmore, and then Rocky Balboa beat Dottie Hinson in the championship game. Nice. So, Rocky is your number one movie athlete. There we go. I, I, I mean, it, that's kind of hard to argue with. Marla was better than, than uh, Gina Davis. Marla Hooch. Yes. Hooch. Hooch. Way more. Hooch. Way more <laughs> talented. Uh, a lot of night games. Uh, night games. All right, let's get into a uh, quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Because I've got two quotes of the day, and they're both from League of Their Own, so it of just kind of transitions right into it. I mean, are they, my d- does one. John Lovitz say them? No, these are two <laughs> non-John Lovitz quotes. Wow. Because, because I, I mean, I yeah, I think I've said it before, but I did a... Uh, ranking of the best quotes from league of their own and i think number one was simply anything john lovett says but um no these (laughs) (laughs) um no this is uh it's one jimmy dugan quote and it's it's one doris quote who's rosie o'donnell um the jimmy dugan quote this is what comes immediately before there's no crying in baseball um when he pulls evelyn aside and and he he yells at her for throw, for missing the cutoff man and all this stuff, and he just simply says to her, "Start using your head. That's that lump three feet above your ass." Yes, I, I like that one. And then one, I was searching, I was going through like the the some more uh, prominent than others, Doris. Some are more prominent than others. I, I started going through the like quotes list on IMDb, just looking for good ones to remind myself. And I've never actually heard this one in the movie, but it was on IMDb. It's after the bus stops and the but the Lou quit because the bus driver quits because Stillwell like covers his eyes and all this stuff, and then May grabs a bat and goes, "Evelyn, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna have to kill your son," and starts chasing her, chasing Stillwell, and after she says that, Doris, uh, apparently Doris says, "May, don't use my bat, use Marla's. It's heavier." Oh yeah, I, I remember that quote. <laughs> I was like, that's a, that's brilliant. That is just brilliant. So those those are my quotes. Use your head. Rogers Hornsby was my manager. <laughs> yes. It's the it's the most quotable movie. I would have given written you a thank you note, but they wouldn't give me anything sharp to write with. Um. All right, <laughs> Zach, you can go ahead. All right. So I had a student ask me this week, Mr. Saltz, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Now. Uh, in, in the past, I have said to this question, downsizing. 
This was the first time I came up with a new movie, and that movie is The Bubble. Yes. I think The Bubble is is worse than Downsizing. I think I is even said that in my Space review. Jam 2? I, I think it is worse than Space Jam 2. It's not I would as bad as Libertine. I've never seen The Libertine. Good. Now, Bang the Drum Slowly is interesting. I I would want to... I, I don't actually want to watch it again. Anyway, all right. Where am I going with this? So, my quote of the day comes from the trailer for Downton Abbey 2, which I'm sure you've seen at this point because it's at every single freaking movie I see. And at the end of the trailer, when the old white British lady says, it seems that the public only wants films that talk. And then Maggie Dame Maggie Smith says... I should have thought that the best thing about films is that you can't hear them. Be better if you can see them either. And that is the way I feel about uh, the bubble and any other bad movie. Nice. All played. All right, Todd, what do you got? Well, I have two quotes. Both of them are alcohol related. One of them is from uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. I don't remember exactly the context of, but I wrote it down, which is Nick Cage says, I prefer bourbon, but thank you. And that's because I was drinking <laughs> bourbon. And I was like, well, that's what I should probably drink for the podcast. I think he was handed like a Mai Tai or something by the pool. I, I can't remember exactly how that went. The other one is from Days of Wine and Roses. And Joe Clay says, well, anything worth having is worth suffering for, isn't it? And I think that's just a great quote. Who would out drink who? Joe Clay or Ben Sanderson? That's what, That's the real question. Well, I mean, it's got to be Joe. Like, Joe is the high, highly functioning alcoholic. And Ben, Ben completely destroys his life in, in one month, I, I think. I think Joe Clay out drinks him. You, you could add Jimmy Dugan into that argument, too. I mean. <laughs> oh, of course what, we could. What about Miles? Could. John Lovett. I mean, you, you, the, the, the best move you made was in the fifth inning when you scratched yourself for 20 minutes. Well, anything you worth really doing is worth doing right. Until then, we didn't know mm. if you were drunk or dead. <laughs> you really think Jimmy Dugan could outdrink Ben Sanderson? I, I, I really no. don't know about that. But, Jimmy uh, Dugan's there, a beer drinker. I, I don't. I can't think. I, I, I would are, not think that that Jimmy Dugan ever ordered. You know, there are hard moments liquor. in Days oh, of Wine and Roses the, the entire time. In Days of Wine and Roses, Jack Lemmon is sober in a few scenes. Ben Sanderson is never sober the entire movie. He's he does not eat rice though. Second. I think it's debatable. He doesn't eat his spaghetti. We know that. I, by the way, I was re-watching uh, Leaving Las Vegas a little bit today in, in honor of Days of Wine and Roses. And that's the best Nicolas Cage performance. And it's Even though you shit I, on it when we deep dive. I feel it. bad about shitting on it. It's a great movie. I, we should do a power ranking of the most like frustrating movies ever made. And that would be my number one because everything with Nicolas Cage in it is perfect and brilliant. Everything with the, the Ukrainian pimp is awful. All right. And with that, that, (laughs) with Ukrainian pimps, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and uh, continue to go back through all our old episodes. I'm slowly uh, uh, re-adding all of our our archived episodes from from, uh, years and years of, uh, of Almost Sideways podcast. Uh, so make sure you're checking those out as they continue to be re-added to the channel. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.